another reason that I hate the internet now. <gasps> coming in hot. I know. Hate it. Hot. I've gotten rid of Letterbox. I'm done. So you know, like I was looking for your Sully log when you talked about Sully this morning, and I was like, oh, I'm it's done. Gone. So, um, and when Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch was presented as this paragon of so- white Southern liberalism, ally to the civil rights struggle, ally to African Americans, oh, an exceptional white man who was ready to like fight Sully? the good fight, like like Chester. Chester! Chesley. Chester. His name is not Chester. <laughs> Even better. I His wish name it, is Chesley. Chesley. Okay, here's a Chesley. I wish it was Chesley. 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 Sully Chester. Sullenberger. Uh-huh. It is always in quotes. Sully. <laughs> Sully. I, Sully. I always get such a big kick out of Ben's description of Sully as... My favorite Boonwell film, because <laughs> <laughs> Laura Linney is only on the phone from the kitchen the whole movie, yes. and... Sully just keeps landing the same flight again, into the again, river and over again, and, and, and over and, again, and over. And but occasionally dreams of crashing it into but, the city. But yeah. Because sometimes that would be easier. Mm-hmm. Famously, Harper Lee wrote a sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird called Go Set a Watchman. Yeah, that's what it's called. And she didn't want to publish it. No. Wasn't into it. Decided it wasn't yep. up to stuff. Up to snuff. Nor, it wasn't up to stuff, and wasn't it wasn't up to snuff. Up to shit. And it got published. It wasn't up to shit. No, it got published when she was in her decline, like in her last, clinging on by the last shreds of her sanity. Yes. Yes. And her publisher, or the family slash the publishers exploited her and published it because clearly the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird is bound to bring more, money. so much money in. Just and like it, the play and then go set, And then Go Set a Watchman when, takes place when Scout is an adult, Atticus uh-huh. Finch is a racist. And I'm not... Have you read it? Or do you just... No, um, of course not. But I'm, all I'm saying is, um, and perhaps that's in poor taste, but when we, when we went off, Ben was all on the internet, and now we're jumping forward six uh, months. And the internet the, the is sequel. over. Oh, we and, and, and the internet's over. over. I thought we were talking about Sully, who I was like, wait, who did he vote for? And then I remembered he wrote a not-bad last year that was like, these fucking idiots. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Chesley do you, is good. But hold on. Do you think Sully is a never-Trumper? Or do you think Sully is is an, that that elusive shrinking group of independent white men? I think he's probably an independent white man. That makes him exceptional in another way, and that there are so few of them left. They don't. They wouldn't. They don't speak out. The Never Trumper Republicans. Yeah, they do. They pop. They, I feel like they publish op eds. Like George Will is in the Washington Post every other week. I don't know who that is. So. George. Oh, well, I'm not going to go down that road. So, uh, uh, one of the know. slimiest Republican operatives, in my opinion, whose name I can't. His name's like Stuart Stevens, I think. He just published an op ed in the Times or somewhere. I'll have to look further back. Saying into Republicans Sully's. are no longer the party of common sense, oh. fiscal responsibility. Mm. It's the party of Trump. And all Republicans should search deep into their consciences and vote yes to remove from office. I've worked on every Republican presidential campaign for the last 25 years. And it's like, Did he read dude, too? dude, not going to happen. I post on Facebook today because that's the only internet I have. Yeah, so what is this? What? Are you pivoting to angry? No, I was just rage Facebook posting. Poster? I was just rage Because you have no other was, outlet. To, yeah. And you know you, well. Relatives. I want. I did it specifically for my relatives, <laughs> right. so the, to call them idiots. Vi- Vicky, we love, we love to see it. 
what does she say? Steady? Did she say steady? Steady. (laughs) Steady. (laughs) Like ellipsis. Steady. I I said three of your last four presidents haven't been able to read. Steady. That's my favorite line from- big-hearted all your Uh, angry statuses. My favorite line from 30th best film of the decade, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Mm. Mm, Steady. (laughs) Steady, sir. Vicky Vicky Devan. Steady. Steady. Ah, that is the 30th best film of the decade. What's my 30th best film? We came to talk about our films of the decade, right? Oh, Um, let's do decade first uh, and then. Let's each do our 30. One at a time. And then we'll do. What's your list? I expanded to 30. I remember. I expanded to 30 as well. I needed to expand. Well, you know, living rent free these whole six months, Matters Bomber has like 50. Yeah. The decade. Which we love to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, whew, we I'm do just love I'm to I'm sort it. of over these arbitrary walls around how many things we can have on our best performances of the year mm. list, our best. Oh yeah, and I like that Ben is at 25. It's like I've got 25. I don't yes. have 20. I don't have 30. I would like if you right. had like 24, or 26. I would like it even more. Well, this is my. Uh, I've been culling a list of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and it's at 17 because that's. That is where the the top tier ends naturally. And there were some lists this year, decade and 2019, that were like random numbers. And it's like, that's just where the number is. Sometimes it's just like, you know, number 11 is that close to your number 10 in your heart. Mm -hmm. And that's That's how I feel about my number 10 and 11s this year. Oh. And and 10, 11, and 12, and 13 are all interchangeable. Yeah. Like, I have the 25 for the purpose of this podcast, but Mm -hmm. I only tweeted out the 15. Those are really the the 15 for me. The rest can, the rest are great. I didn't want to. Here's my twat about them. Self-lacerating hot take. I like to think that I don't believe in the numbers. Mm-hmm. I could do odd numbers. It could be not in increments of five or four. But because Letterboxd, desktop, and phone versions do their film tiles in mm-hmm. rows of four and five. It is so I annoying. Think, I think that's why I do it. Do it what? Like, nice I, I actually that, think like, that... I, I, 16? What? To do like 16. Mm-hmm. 16 looks clean to say on it. mobile. But it's I, true. 25 looks crap on mobile. 25 Terrible looks on mobile. beautiful on desktop. But, here, but here's my point. We got to get off Letterboxd. We have to get off Letterboxd. <laughs> we have to get off, off Letterboxd now. We have to get on Letterboxd. Uh, Letterboxd. It was, it was one of our films on this list that made me think I have to be done with Letterboxd. Uncut Gems? Nope. It's the you'll, one I saw figure it a couple out. days ago. You'll I figure it out. Oh, Little Women? No. There's a, there's a. Oh, oh my God! I'm spoiling. I'm spoiling. Spoilers. You're just giving a, you're giving a, a taste, a, a, just a, a tease. little, a morsel, a little taste. Well, a Ben didn't realize the, the, the word, the, the pun, or none, but I don't know. The what? The pun know. economy. <laughs> We're working in a pun economy. The movie that made him realize he needs to get off, get offline. I was like, oh, oh, you want to hide your life? Oh. <laughs> So why will you talk about it if if we talk about it later, or do you want to? We'll it's really about- I just. Know why. It's really just. I don't want to see ratings of this that are less than four and a half. Period. I don't care. I I, can't, I don't remember which film it was, but I was in a rest stop bathroom driving home oh. to L.A. the other day. <laughs> what were you doing in there? <laughs> having some private time, Brandon. Oh, and, is that um, his life. I was peeing sitting down. Oh. And, and at a rest stop? At a, yeah, that's dark. I hope you put some toilet you paper down. You don't know what I'm into. Oh. This is a judgment-free zone. True. Linda's judging. I was living on the road. Like asleep. 
Can you see her from your vantage point? No, she's hiding her life. But I had my. I, I was thinking about how when a good friend of mine got off Letterbox two years ago, her reason was because it infuriated it infuri- it infuriated her that we went to go see Office Christmas Party together, which she laughed all the way through, mm. and I sat there with my arms crossed. <laughs> and then Harumph. we and then we went back to her apartment with a little group. Uh-huh. It's around Christmas time. Got a little drunk and watched Four Christmases. Mm. The Vince Vaughn classic cinema. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, that, but it is a family favorite in my household. And it's a garbage. It's a terrible mm. film. It, it it's it fails as a holiday film. It fails oh, as a studio comedy. It fails Isn't as a Shirley star McClain vehicle. In it too. I don't know if Shirley <laughs> MacLaine is in it, but that's <laughs> that's really funny. I wish that I had Lily Tomlin. Can I tell you one of your birthday gifts? Yes, Shirley MacLaine's autobiography. <gasps> oh, how great! Which I left at home. I love which Shirley. Which are several months overdue. But her reason was that it infuriated her to see my logs for these vehicles that she was adoring. Sissy SpaceX. Sissy SpaceX oh. in it. Um, and so I was, I was, the time I thought that was silly because Letterboxd is wonderful because you can see what your friends think and you can mm-hmm. have a film, you can have a discourse and a dialogue. And now I find myself understanding whether it's Terrence Malick films or Vince Vaughn vehicles. Yeah. Like, there are just some I don't movies. need someone I, to yuck my yams. And yes. here's, the other, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. They're not yucking my yams. They're right. just stating their opinion. Correct. And I'm not trying to silence that. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I don't need to see Dark Waters, which I think is a near perfect film. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see someone give it three stars on Letterboxd right. and offer some pithy critique that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason why is because I know myself and I'm just going to sit there and spin. Yes, yeah, same. For five and minutes, like, we could have an intelligent discussion, and anyone with their friends can disagree they on can a movie. Say whatever they want, and you're fine. And then you move on with your lives. Yeah. But the like silent seething over—I know half of the people I follow on Letterboxd think a hidden life is lesser Malik. I'm not. I just can't. Yeah. Can I, I can't. Well, here, why don't I pivot away from us seething against? So we're done with the internet. The internet. Yeah. <laughs> I everybody read Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino oh. and oh, reevaluate you your relationship to the internet. It's I did so start. fucking I read, like, good. Five pages. Once, over once you break. finish it, I'm gonna read the rest of her essays because I only read the internet. Oh, read oh. all of them. Oh my god! The I don't know univer- why I only the read University the one. of Virginia essay is seminal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm gonna finish it. It's great. Um, I don't know why I stopped. And I, I was actually like, I think, have to read the internet. I one. actually think that. Very, they're about different things, um, but they come down to the idea of how cultural attitudes get baked into the legacy of something. Read the University of Virginia essay, and then read the essay she just wrote on cats. Oh, yeah. I did. I bookmarked that, which deals with the racial history of T. S. Eliot and cats in a way oh, that is essential and just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. She's a smart cookie. Sure I'm is. reading Emily Nussbaum's book right now, mm-hmm. most of which these essays have already read, but I've just been enjoying sitting around flipping through them. Th- that's all I have to say. I've just been reading I, that now. <laughs> oh, but but here, I was going to say, I can I can spin us away from the, the, t- the Tolentino-esque screen. Well, it's not Tolentino-esque well, because she would be far more nuanced in her thinking. But let's get away from that. You guys don't have to share yours, but this is potentially an opening um, you know, question for the group about what their biggest source of cinematic shame is in the past decade. In mine is that I basically gave up on Terrence Malick post tree of life. Mm. And I think about how the internet, back to the internet, how the internet no. feeds perceptions of cultural objects. Mm-hmm. 
even if they are unseen to you, if they're foreign to you. So I have not seen To the Wonder, Song to Song, or Knight of Cups, and yet I think I I truly think that I have an opinion that is valid uh-huh. on Terrence Malick's 2010s input, output. Right. I've seen none of them. So my bi- my biggest shame is is not seeing any of the aughts, only seeing the bookends of the decade from Terrence yeah. Malick and thinking that I have anything to say about Malick this decade because I don't deserve it. That is very interesting. I don't know what mine would be. I would have to think about that for a sec. What would mine be? I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, like, I guess I we, think we, we, my it doesn't sh- have to be a... It, it can be, if you want to answer, it doesn't have to be a... I mean, everybody. I don't question. know if this is shame, but like, if I'm honest with myself, Lady Bird's my favorite movie of the decade. That's not shameful. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's shameful is that That's you my feel reality. That, that, what, that you can't say What's that. shameful is that you feel shame. Ah. <sighs> It so, is, call me by no, my Brandon, shame. You're right. It is full of shame, full of your own shame. <sighs> I mean, truly, to feel no other movie this decade. Well, maybe that's not true. That I remember, no other movie this decade made me feel the way that movie made me feel. I mean, there have been others, but I'm really curious to hear. And I'm not pivoting away from what you're saying. I'm curious to hear. Please Ben's pivot away. Little, I'm sorry. That that. It's, it's not as dismissive as I meant little in that you loved little women, but you have mm-hmm. issues with it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear what they are because another reason I'm done with the internet and I hate that it's like Greta Gerwig because she's an actor and then mm-hmm. she becomes a director that I'm, that I'm taking offense to this probably because I feel like I know her cause I've seen her on screen for so long, yeah. but this like anti Gerwig thing going on on the internet, like it's very give odd. me a fucking break. I can't. And the anti Jordan Peele thing with us. It's like, can wait, we... there's an anti Jordan Peele thing or, going no, around with or, us. earlier in the year. Oh, when, when people were like, out. us was again, a lesser... No, like Ben says, we can have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear why you think us is shallow and obvious and on mm-hmm. the nose and not a great critique or whatever um, of you know inequality in America, haves and have-nots. I'm down to have it. Mm-hmm. But just this, like, there's an air of superiority around dismissing yesterday's heroes. Yeah. We root for failure on the internet. Mm-hmm. I think that's also just yeah. life. A lot of people... Yeah, no, I yeah. tend towards they want I'm someone not, who was successful to fall. I'm not saying my outlook is universal, but the way that that feeds, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Malik. Like, I feel like I've seen those three Malik films, and I feel like I have valid opinions on them. That that, that by going away from narrative, he has fully lost the thread. You know right. that he's become so enamored with an improvisational aesthetic and acting style that they are paperweight and. You can stick your hand right through them. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen these films. I don't. I don't. You know. And like, I sort of feel that with To the Wonder. I think that's his worst film. Yeah. But Night of Cups is great. Which I, I, I watched Song to Song after I saw Hidden Life and enjoyed my time. I think he's it's a good. master. He's a master filmmaker. And if we talk about Hidden Life later. Maybe I'll talk about it. We have several master filmmakers on the list. It's an auteur-driven it, list. It really is. 2019. It was a big, like, greatest filmmakers working today dropped great movies. Scorsese yeah. made a movie. Yeah. Varda made a movie. Not on my list, but Varda made a movie. I mean, it was on mine. This, yeah. this is, I think, a better, not to Claire compare Denis. years, but better year than last Jean-Luc year. Jean-Luc Godard. Mm-hmm. Although this many, is a major Joanna Hogg, year. Joanna Hogg made a movie. Many of the Rising auteurs movies, and Vanguard auteurs. Uh, mm-hmm. If some some people use you know world premiere date and a lot of this don't is, you not I I not for the purpose of making Got year it. end lists I, I it's just no go ahead go ahead go ahead just that it, that I've I had this conversation recently with someone that 
they think 2018 is a better year because most of the movies that we think are great 2019 movies are 2018 movies. Mm. Oh. Which is an interesting way to put it. So I think that if you're going to bake it, that is an interesting way to put it. As we've ended the decade, I'm thinking about how arbitrary the whole notion of a decade's motion of yes. films is. What we're trying to do, I think, is describe some sort of context on these films with mm-hmm. their moment in history, mm-hmm. which I think makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, Bush era films, uh, post Soviet Union films mm-hmm. in Eastern Europe, and, and you know, it, obviously Almodovar, who we'll talk about later, post Franco Spain, like the way that an expression becomes tied as a reaction mm-hmm. to to a real event that has nothing to do with cinema, right? Um, and so I, I think that's a great way of putting it. But I also think that 2018 films and 2019 films are probably fundamentally about most of the same themes, right? It'd be different, like Margaret, a film I haven't seen. But again, a film I feel like I have an opinion on. That film is released, what, five, six years after it's shot? Mm-hmm. That's a film that I remember in the reception. It's a Bush film, it's a Bush film but it came out in the Obama years. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people who loved it cited that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a direct reaction to 9-11. Exactly, right. I say exactly like I've seen it, but yeah. Um, and so with a film like Margaret then... I almost feel like that's a better argument for something that you should contextualize as a 2010s yeah. film versus, or I mean, a, a, I felt a, a two, I, no, actually, I mean a 2000s film versus. I a 2010s felt film. weird. Two things about Margaret. I, first of all, I felt weird putting on my list, my decade list at all, because it feels like it belongs in the aughts. Mm-hmm. But then also, the reason I went from 20 to 25 is to include Margaret. I love, I love to hear it. Mm-hmm. See, that's why I ended up opting out of about Ely on my decade list, which technically, under right. my parameters, is a film of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. But it is speaking to an anxiety that I think makes more sense in the aughts. Yeah, it's true. Maybe because it got released in the U.S. in what 20. 20- but it it was after 20, separation 2012 2013 but it, it, but it, it was it won Tribeca in 09 yeah it. it was made before a separation but then it was released here because of the success yeah. of a separation got it situation when my friend was working at Tribeca in 09 she met Farhadi and no one in America cared about him mm-hmm. and he wins the top prize and everyone's very excited about Asghar Farhadi but she said it, it It does not compare to the idea of him walking into the New York Film Festival now yeah. with like the salesman or something if that played there. And just the, he, he is now this international auteur with such, a, with such a presence. And yet that film is sort of the first masterpiece that gets some US attention, mm-hmm. even though it's just on the festival circuit. And I think for that reason, I, I yeah. place it in the odds. Yeah, yeah. Because of an anecdote. Circuit. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking earlier today, or maybe yesterday, about... We think about movies in terms of directors' careers and the, the way that their career builds. And, you know, a lot a lot of the people who love Little Women talk about how it's such an expansion from Lady Bird, but she wrote Little Women first. Right. And, I, and like, it, it just kind of upends our notions of auteurism and, mm-hmm. like, using auteur biography. And, like, obviously she made Little Women second, so, like, she brought different things to it after she made Lady Bird. But it's just an interesting... Because for... people have said that the way she structured L- Little Women mm-hmm. is like Joe writing Little Women is right. Greta making Lady Bird, but mm-hmm. if she wrote but that she wrote script Little Women before first. Lady right. Bird. But I think that I think that Gerwig is saying something a little more universal than just her personal experience. Right, of uh, course. If, if you want to take that, even though she writes Little Women first, mm-hmm. it can't, yeah, sure, it, it, it can't possibly be about the exact circumstances of her writing Lady Bird and right. getting Lady Bird made. 
I'm talking about on a script level because, mm-hmm. of course, that can inform her when she's making the movie. Right. It's far more universal about women creating art, period. Right, of course. Yeah. But yeah. then, of course, it can apply to her making Lady Bird because mm-hmm. it's not like she was the exception to the rule when she made that film. I'm sure she yeah. dealt with pr- uh, plenty of Tracy Letts-esque figures behind a desk yeah. saying, well, Lady Bird, she doesn't end up with either guy. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. As yeah. Amy Taubin said on the Film Comment podcast, you know, Lady Bird is such a specific, like, person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and joe is a larger than life american archetype mm-hmm. for 200 years <laughs> yeah. yeah and like that's a very different situation i think that the if you want to talk about greta gerwig nailing the expansiveness of her second project it has more to do with canvas than it does yeah. i think on the page yeah mm-hmm. and like if it's obviously sense. a different does, movie yeah. than it would have been if she had made it as yeah. her very first mm-hmm. solo Just the film. editing in Little Women, I don't think that she would have been able to achieve that if she had not produced this perfect mm-hmm. crystalline nugget, 90-minute mm-hmm. nugget in yeah. Lady Bird. Yeah. I don't think she would have been able... I mean, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think if, without that experience, I don't think she would have been able to handle... Little Women... The, oh, the, the expanse, yeah. yeah. Little Women feels like a 100-minute movie, mm-hmm. and it's 215. 215. Long. Editing. Yeah. Editing. Not going to get nominated. <laughs> Not well, I'm holding out hope that it gets a Best Picture nomination. I know that's lofty to think. I think Best Picture screenplay. Is possible. I think it's... Saoirse gets in, maybe. 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 Well, you know if my Saoirse theory. If Saoirse gets in, I think Lup- it's either Lupita. I know this isn't your theory, yeah. Ben, but for me, it's either Saoirse gets in and Lupita gets snubbed, or Lupita gets in and Saoirse gets snubbed. That's the Feinberg. Um, oh, is uh, it? prediction as of now mm. but you think scarlet doesn't. i think it's scarlet i think scarlet johansson gets one oscar nomination this year for jojo rabbit and you've been saying that I, for months i yes. could i could see that like a month and a half but she's months, air quotes i mean she, I she's think, not better in, and you know why it's because when you vote for nominations it's preferential so you have to be you have to love you have to be both of those performances it's not being everyone's top five it's being 10% number one performance of the year. And no See, one, I, and I, and and no I just one's don't putting ScarJo as their and number I think one Lupita Lupita is that above ScarJo. I disagree. Yes. I disagree. There's more passion for Lupita. I disagree only in that I think that there is more passion probably, I don't know, within the Academy for Marriage Story, for that performance in Marriage Story than the performance in Jojo Rabbit, but I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit. When I talk to people, Jojo Rabbit, when I talk to break people, it down, Anton, when I talk to people at work, it's always, but did you see her in Jojo Rabbit? She it's is, always like, listen, oh, no, no, but, but she is amazing. Oh, so Jojo it's like that. Yes. Okay. It is but, the conver- that. but the conversation starter is marriage story. So yes. you're banking on people in their private moments with their ballots. Mm-hmm. They go Jojo as Rabbit. the only person at the table who's seen Jojo Rabbit. Oh, you uh-huh. haven't seen it either. I haven't. She oh. is very good in Jojo Rabbit. I just she is better in Jojo Rabbit than she is in that. Marriage that story. is what I hear. Don't around you, town. So around I, the town. I feel like Scarlett Johansson could very well get both nominations. It's very possible. Yeah. I could be why, overreading into things. And the reason why in 45 minutes is Marriage Story appeals, I think, to most... or The idea of Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story appeals to both the new Academy and the old Academy. The new Academy, because I wonder, even though we're young and we're highly critical of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. I wonder if new voters who are American mm-hmm. and who are not, even if they've worked with big directors at the beginning of their career, maybe they're not huge like Robert Pattinson-esque or frankly Brie Larson-esque, mm-hmm. even though she's in the cinema, Marvel Cinematic Universe, cinephiles, if they don't hold a contempt for it, yeah. 
And if they're if they grew up with Scarlett Johansson as the Lost in Translation woman, mm-hmm. uh, like as this defining American girl of the, or, and I say girl intentionally, not mm-hmm. in a slight way, or the early aughts of American independent cinema, right. mm-hmm. I think they will love the chance to legitimize her on their ballot. But I, I think they For both because she's and, yeah. she's Black Widow. I think a lot, and I think and, and, we and have to remember Academy, there are and so older many, Academy members love this acting. There style. are so many normies in the Academy that we often forget. <laughs> The publicist and, branch, and the executive branch. And we're punching up. We're punching up when uh-huh. we say that. Yeah. They're in the academy. Yeah, exactly. They, I just want to be clear. We're punching they make, up. They make $400,000 a year. We're in, we're in an apartment in East <laughs> Hollywood right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, to them, Scarlett Johansson is a movie star who gave great performances. Not only year. is she a movie star, but she is delivering a... You know, this is such a lazy comparison, but it is like... It's a Kramer versus Kramer type film. It's, I, it's not my first comparison, but it's the type of movie that older Academy voters miss. Mm-hmm. You know? They, right. they, I don't think they were... If they were voting for Avatar, it was because they were voting for James Cameron. Right. You know, not because they like the... I, these are people who I'm sure... Well, Brandon loves Avatar. Thank yes, you. And, and it's a, Just rewatch. It's it. a good movie. Thank you. My I, final view of the decade. I would like to decade. borrow the Blu-ray. Please. Is it a like 3D Blu-ray? It's does not it, does a come with I would like glasses, to view it. it, but it comes with three versions of the, the film: the theatrical, the extended with eight additional minutes, and the collector's extended with thirteen extra minutes. And it comes with a. Is free... that thirteen on top of? We talked about no, this the other day. I no, asked you. thirteen total. It's, it's eight total. And it comes additional additional. It yes. comes with two <laughs> limited edition sex braids that yes. you can stick together yes. and they will light up and intertwine. Okay, I don't know if I blinked, mm-hmm. but I never saw them sex braid. Is that fan fiction? That is for real. You were blinking for a long time. You felt But asleep. I watched the when sex they, like, scene. They, they kiss. And they don't... And then I they wake up. No, 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 They no, wake no. up next to no, each other. No, no, no. They don't intertwine braids. They don't put their braids together. It's the sex tree. That they all connect to with their braids. Correct. Yeah. But they don't fuck each other by connecting their braids. No, but that... Is it not deeply erotic? These like... Of course fle- it these is. fleshy but, tendrils but intertwining? I was, I, for and 10 when the movie's years, all about fucking the earth? It's a movie about fucking the earth, but they're not fucking each other. For 10 years, I thought during the sex scene, they fucked they, they well, fuck their braids. Brandon, you can't... They're fucking the things they're flying on with their braids, the mm. horses they're you riding, are the trees in the earth. Brandon, you cannot they're fuck not a, fucking each other you cannot with fuck the braids. A Navi the same way you fuck a tree. It's just basic biology. It's in true. in James Cameron's Avatar, they kiss a little bit, fade to black, they're cuddling. There is no sex in Avatar. Name. Ben, from from a Bob Iger to John Cassavetti scale, oh. how much of a virgin <laughs> is James Cameron? He's so cl- Cassavetti's on one side. We're fucking. He's closer to Cassavetes. I, I think. think that's true. James Cameron? Yeah. I think I that's... I view him as a robot. Have you no, seen no, no, no. Titanic? That movie's or, hot no, as fuck. Or, um, oh, that's true. Or, or True Lies. I haven't seen True Lies. True Lies. Oh, True Lies. Does Terminator. Fuck. Terminator fucks. Well, that's I true. Think, no, I think Cameron was having Ava- a lot of Ava- sweaty, Avatar does earth sex. fucking. But I don't necessarily think of James Cameron as a sexy filmmaker no. con- in a contemporary context. True. And that's not ageist. I think he's I think he's given up sex so he can go dive in his little submarine to the depths of the Pacific to look at fish with four eyes. He only eyes. eats he's greens now, you know. So no, he doesn't have that raw red meat. Yeah, no, no, not after Avatar. Energy. <laughs> he's, he's very no, green. He's a, he's a yes. Well, my his wife, who is the blonde, the granddaughter of Rose in Titanic. <laughs> that is a oh. gag. Are you she sure? got him on veganism <laughs> in the nineties. Good for her. You know. 
My and they're very Eastern concepts of health and healing professor mm. in undergrad loved Avatar, and she was not a Hollywood movie buff. Uh, I love so that. I've always appreciated the environmentalism of that film through Rhonda's lens. I love, I love Avatar. All right, should we begin? Yeah. How long have we been going? I know. I was a half hour. Say. Who's in charge this week? I never even All said what I was going to say that is the reason that we turned on the microphone. <laughs> okay, I will. What be- a gag. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. The children in this space have grown exponentially. I am tired of the internet. (laughs) This is like the Dante for why I'm quitting cigarettes. It is. Because I'm tired of the... The the feeling that if you don't stand the movie and if you don't post 400 screenshots of it a day that you are not in the club and you do not deserve to like the movie to the degree I that agree. you like it. That's that true. It's, stand it's, culture. Well, that it's very black or white. Let's be clear. This extends beyond films. It does. This extends to who is the furthest to the left. Mm-hmm. This is who cares. And I'm being very serious. This is about who cares the most about gun violence. Mm-hmm. And I find that unspeakably crass. Yeah, it is. You know, everything is either a one or a five mm-hmm. on the internet. I couldn't mm-hmm. get out of bed this morning because I'm flummoxed with anxiety over what's going to happen in Iran, what's going to mm-hmm. happen to the Middle East. But I didn't tweet about it. Do I care about I it? I rage post. I don't know. Facebook. I guess I don't know if I care about it because I didn't you post didn't, about gays, it. You, you did not want to be on the internet yesterday because gays were memeing. You did not. Being drafted. Virtue signals. Well, you so know, you, you guys know that I've never, it took me a long time to warm up to the idea of like the camps as funny. Like when oh, Trump became right. president. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it's different. I do think it's this different. This is different. But it's, um, but no, but I, I agree with you. This is different because it's real. Exactly. It's no, happening. No, it's, no, it's exactly. It actually happened. Well, it's no longer, I don't think it's a, it was a sort of self-reflexive coping mechanism to make sense through humor of the way that minorities were going to be treated in a uh-huh. Trump in a Trump era. Yeah, but now, like, it, it it speaks so much to the entitled, self-centered nature, especially of like white gay men, of which I am one, so I'm not excluding myself from it. When you are faced with the news that like, and also, and, and it's mixed with this idea of like, sort of. Hashtag resistance that doesn't really mean much of anything. Mm-hmm. You put those two things together, you hear that we bomb Iran, and your first thought is not the Iranians, the neighboring nations, mm-hmm. like all the innocents who are going to die. Mm-hmm. It's me, 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 it's me. It's how me. can I be funny in this moment? Yeah. And get some hot likes. Yeah. And by the way, I, I'm not saying that in a virtue signaling way. It's just yeah. like I really think the internet has ruined our ability to get outside of ourselves. It, I mean, I, I, one of the great, and, and the problem I have with the internet is not everyone is Susan fucking Sontag who can write about every single topic. Right. You know, not everyone is Gia Tolentino. In a pithy way that can be twitted. Yeah. The way yeah. that her diaries are twitted and they're, exactly. they're flawless little perfect nuggets. But Tolentino also, this is, and I, again, I, again, I mean, I'm, I'm also a white gay man, so I'm going to in earnest talk about Gia Tolentino writing. Mm. Uh, she has a great observation in one of her essays in Trick Mirror about how solidarity has become misunderstood in today's Twitter scape, where if Ben says to me, so let's say we get here and Ben sort of has, Ben has a bandage on his ankle and says, yeah, I tripped on a piece of, I tripped on something and I fell on some broken glass and I almost tore my Achilles tendon and it's, you know, it kind of sucks. 
the the impulse now is to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I totally get that. You know, I actually fell and almost mm-hmm. ripped yep. my Achilles tendon. Yep. It's not, oh my God, do you have ice? Can I get you anything? Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. That's awful. Do you want to get a pillow for that? You know like, what moment, film moment of the year I think about almost every day, and it's not on our list, so I'm going to bring it up, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Uh, in beautiful day in the neighborhood almost on the list close so it's, that's, it's is it pretty 26 no 21 no it's it's just it's on the list it's on the top 30 yes it's in the top 30 anyway uh is when matthew reese and tom hanks are sitting on the on the thing on the couch, nothing. Uh, I'm like, you got to be honest. <laughs> they're sitting on the couch. They're doing they do, a they lot do, of sitting. They do a lot of sitting in this movie. And it's one of the interviews, and they're... Is it in his house? I don't remember. That's a great uh, sequence. But a I, sequence. That might be that one. But he's like, uh, you know, it must have been really hard for your sons to be Mr. Rogers' son. And he's trying to bait Mr. Rogers, but Mr. Rogers is like... Turns it around. He's like, it is. Mm. Thank you for recognizing oh, yeah, that. that's right. That's, yeah. I just think that's so beautiful. And I think we all need that more in our lives. Yeah. 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 That's all. Well, that's, I'll, I'll I say. I wish I put that movie on my list. It's on my list. It's low on my list. And I think the reason why that is, is not because It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood doesn't measure up, but because I loved so many movies in 2019. It was a good year. But that movie, like water, is a tonic. Mm. <laughs> it's such a tonic. Just is for- this your segue to number 20? Is which it is about 20? waters that are not tonics. <laughs> <laughs> number 20. Which is about water that will kill you. Well, we haven't introduced the show yet. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, hold on. We have I'm, to introduce our you, show. You guys, you guys bullshit program. for like 30 more seconds. I, right oh, I have another. one more thing to quote about Amy Taubin from the oh, Film yeah. Comment Podcast. You've got two hours to quote Amy. It's true. Um, so for... A very long time I've wanted to make a Marilyn Monroe movie because I don't think one has been made yet that captures her properly. Mm -hmm. And she says on the Film Comment podcast Mm -hmm. that Greta Gerwig is Marilyn Monroe without the sell, meaning selling sex, that Greta Gerwig is effortlessly sexy and she... Doesn't have she's not putting it forward for men, yeah, and that sh- Greta Gerwig is where Marilyn Monroe wanted her career to go. She will, and she mm. has that sort of constantly in a reverie quality, mm-hmm. you know. And as I've said, Marilyn Monroe is the funniest person alive, and Greta Gerwig is near that, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the funniest person alive, Marilyn I think Monroe that is not alive. Well, first of all, Ben. It's time for you to adapt Joyce Carol Oates and make that Marilyn Monroe. I know. Movie. I need to read that book. I've never read it. <laughs> it's going back to Twitter. Joyce uh, Carol Oates uh, and her uh, her laptop. Do we think? <laughs> never forget I think that, that laptop. Twentieth Century Women is sort of the perfect performance for Greta to go out uh, on. I think that's her last screen performance. It's probably acting. not. I mean, I think it's her last acting. No, I role. think it is. But it is just the was the, she reached the Julianne Moore movie before that. Still Alice? No. Oh, Maggie's Plan. Yes. She's that's after. I Maggie's think, plan I was think. 20th Before. century women is after. Yeah. N- yes, no. you're right. No, I think Maggie's no. plan's after. Because no. Because well, Maggie's plan. 10 minutes came, on this. Maggie's plan. I was living with my parents and 20th century women. I saw at the Cinna family. So that is well, Maggie's plan was 2015. Going back to 20th century women and Little Women, time is all happening at the same time it's anyway. True. So I'm also com- going to irrelevant. refill my drink. We are, so we, we are Doctor Manhattan. We are. We were in two places. I, it was 2016. I was seen. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Maggie's I am in 2016. 
Maggie's plan. I have this in the family. Watch it. <laughs> I'm 20 feet from the It's 2019. <laughs> Ben's doing a bit and I'm no one can hear it. Yeah. Drink pouring from a blue Bombay Sapphire mm. bottle. That is a giant Dearly, bottle. Deeply Dr. Manhattan. Where? It was I on sale. It. Where? How much? Where? It was like 20 bucks. Gotta go. That's a that's a big honker at too. The, ben, where? That's a big honker of Jim. Do you still go to the grocery? So we're also not in the. Well, we can we can mythologize. Not to get too regional, but I love that pavilion. I do too. Sometimes I go out of my way to go to it. It's very nostalgic. I I go out of my way to go to a lot of places for nostalgia. Yeah. But good nostalgia, not Disney nostalgia. No. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to Little Women, but I think that its rejection of nostalgia while being deeply about memory is one of its best qualities. Number 20. Sorry, waiting for Ben. You have to introduce the show. We have to introduce the show. Oh, God. I'll be right there. I know. Who's doing that? Me? No. I'll do it. Oh, I was, I'm touching my nose to see who touches it next. All right, Ben. Ben, you're up. Okay, shut up. <laughs> This is movies. I am up. I was clearing my throat. Clinking. Can you, can you start? This isn't the Zama episode. <laughs> Clink. <laughs> Once we did the Zama episode, it never was not not the Zama episode. It's always episode. the Zama episode. Well, again, like the Little Women thing, it is always the Zama episode now. All right, you ready? Can I can I say something before you of start? Course. The dead speak. <gasps> the dead speak. Oh, I can't go into that movie. <laughs> no, I, that's just, I know, I can't do it. We are not doing that. That's the first line of our opening crawl. This is Curl? probably <laughs> the final episode, just like The Rise of Skywalker. This is probably the final episode in the Skywalker The concluding story of movies, IMO. We are your the favorite speak. film faggots. I'm going for the full the word. The full word. No more internet. No more, inter- no more internet speak. Uh, no more abbreviate. No more abbreves. It's only abbreviation. And actually, there's no abbreviation. I'm also not going to end texts with LOL anymore. I, it has become a fucking poison. Because I, I do, do it, it all the time. I do too. Whatever. Unless I really want it to be funny and like I'm being self deprecating. But sometimes you do it when you're totally but serious. Maybe we, we're all people who, in some way, shape, or form, are writers or were writers or mm. will be writers. If we're doing a good self, like self-deprecating line, mm-hmm. do we need to add a LOL. LOL at the end to indicate that this is self-deprecating? Maybe we should just work on our tone a little That's bit. You true. can't hear the tone over text. We need that LOL. But maybe we could if we were better writers, Brandon. That's what I'm saying. If we aspired to it. That's I'll true. start texting only in voice memos. I've done that. And then, <laughs> and then you'll get the tone. <laughs> oh, you'll get the tone. My name is Ben MP. Oh, hello. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> Welcome. This Welcome is... to my new apartment. New new stu- recording new studio. studio. I can't we believe we haven't studio. seen each other since we last put the mics I down. I haven't seen you guys in none five of, months. None of us have <laughs> What's spoken. What's wild about Ben's new none apartment spoken. is this layout is the exact same as the last apartment and where the table is and where the microphones are. So this, I slipped right into this old, like Rebel Wilson and Cats. The only thing that's different is that my skin the door is in only... the middle of the room. That's not all, tr- the, way all, all the way over there. That's true. That's one of the and few there are, differences. There are children frolicking outside. I know. More children they're, than usual. They're very loud. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. 
And we no, noted, um, what did you do? What's oh, in the news? I stole a car <laughs> and there was a goat in it and I fell asleep. And I a person. You were kidnapped, a person and a goat. And you goat napped. And I'm 40 and now I'm in jail. In Oklahoma. This in was, Tulsa. This was Tulsa, a recent Oklahoma. news item. Just like Watchmen. <laughs> Google Brandon Kirby Tulsa. And you can read it for yourself. Enjoy. I'm a goat napper. How great. <laughs> we are here today to talk about the top 20 films of the year. And <gasps> let's get... And, to- and what year is it, then? <laughs> let's jump in. It is 2009. Of 2009. I'm sitting with Ben and... <laughs> How do you do the Manhattan it's, joke? I, I, it's all present tense. It's all me statements, first uh, of all. So yes, that too. Good, Dr. Manhattan, good in bed, good in therapy. The year it's twenty. Did you see someone 16. got the Manhattan dildo? No. It, Does that exist? It exists. Apparently, someone unboxed one on Twitter good. and then put it in themselves. Good for her. <laughs> Just kidding. Or him. Good, good for all of True. them. True. Good it for could everybody. Be anyone. Maybe we need one. <laughs> well, do I have a surprise for you? <laughs> you're wearing a blue shirt. Oh, it's me. Oh, oh, you're Dr. Manhattan's dick. <laughs> you're not the whole Dr. Manhattan. You are just the penis. It's like in the Supreme uh, in the Sopranos. 2020 Halloween costume. So like imagine this is mm. I'm taking my nicotine laws and joke. Oh. This is it's this serious. Is very serious. This is a this is not a good joke. If Dr. Manhattan was Tony Soprano and he sits down for his first therapy session and tells Dr. Melfi, I dreamed that a bird (laughs) flew away with my dick. Mm. (laughs) Doctor, you are, the bird dropped that dick. If it's Mm. Dr. Manhattan's POV and you are that dick. You are the dick. And you're like, yeah, (laughs) like one of the big mouth furry dicks. Where's Gene Smart? (laughs) So great. So good. Jean Smart was Queen of great Watchems. in Fargo season two as she well. She sure was. Yes, she was. That was a performance. That was, that was a, a season. I loved Fargo season two. Same. What's the 20th film on our list? <laughs> well, the, thing, the thing about Fargo season two is... <clears throat> God damn it. Sort of about the bait, and, the bait and switch of corporate values, community values. Okay. Here we are. So we're doing the top 20 films of 2019. Our combined top 20. Oh, yeah. So we've not, we've not done it this way before. We're not doing it like we did in the past. This is the third time we've done it. It takes too long, and we nobody a... likes me at the end of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> we did a round robin before of round our individual and it ended, favorite films. And it ended last year with me talking about You got about, very mad because I told you to wrap it up. No, yeah. I was talking about Zama, and you both are just looking at me like, shut up. I think we're on our fifth hour. Up. <laughs> And then after that, I doubled down by going, I just want to say I love talking about movies with you guys. <laughs> and then that was like, and, But do you have off. to be so fucking earnest all of the time? Oh, that's right. You left and didn't look at me in the face. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that's why like, ending the podcast was so good for our friendship. <laughs> we don't see each other anymore. Well, you guys, yeah, we do. You guys see each other. I've been like all over the country the past. You have. You've few been months. really globe trotting. I've been globe trotting on the mm. continent, and I'm mm. ready to be mm. back. In LA for a while. Okay, so we're doing our top twenty. This is collective ben, combined. Ben did the money balling. He did the crunching of the numbers. Yes, I we love, all provided a love our crunching top twenty five, and, and then Ben pooped out a top twenty of the combined. I'll put it out there right now. I don't want to hear any word about snubs, about flubs, about omissions, about misunderstandings, about no. misreadings, about not going deep into it enough. No, we're just gonna say what we want to say. And we're that's just it. chatting. We're just chatting. Listeners, you're happy we're back. So you're gonna get <laughs> Brandon! You're gonna get what you get. <laughs> it's what they deserve. <laughs> no, they deserve more. We're in wartime now. No. Oh my god. 
I, I, I do not want to. I already talked I about. I already talked about it once, <laughs> um, but I don't want to talk Life about it. Life during wartime. Us. I mean, By we Todd Salon. Wartime. That's the sad thing. I, we've been in wartime for two decades. For Twenty years. Um. Um. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Ellen's best friend. Are, when are we doing honorable mentions? At the end. I think at the end. Okay. At the end. When we're tired and over it, great. I do need to know how long we've been going. 43 minutes. Great. So maybe two minutes per film. If we aim for three minutes per film, we'll hit about seven minutes per film, and then we'll be... That's fine. We'll and I don't cooking. care if we talk we'll about cooking with gas. one film for 12 minutes and one for two. Yeah. I don't care. Number 20 is the newest picture from Daddy Todd Haynes. Mm. Dark Waters. Bum, 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 bum. To quote my letterbox log. I know letterbox is canceled, but to quote my log. <laughs> you're like, don't you're... doubt Daddy Todd. My waters? Dark. Love this film. <laughs> mm. Number 19. I? <laughs> I. Oh, can I have, I have an anecdote. Of yes. course. So I was on date number two with a man. Oh. And he suggested. What's his name first and last? He's dead. Oh. Um, oh shit. I, he was the goat and I killed him. I'm in jail. Um, Jesus. Anyway. Oh my God. He suggests a film as the second date, something I absolutely loathe. You did not choose Dark Waters. I suggested, why don't we watch my screener of Hustlers and have some wine? And he said. I know when this was. And he said. That was. That was we weren't all together because we haven't been all together since we recorded our last episode. That's but, not true. No, I'm. No. Oh, that's true. No, of course yes, we've never we never see we never see each other. We never see each other. And he said, "How about dark waters?" Mm. And I said, "Not the kind of waters <laughs> I had in mind for the evening." Uh, <laughs> what? So one of my good friends from college <laughs> just went home to St. Louis to shoot a feature film. St. Louis, but sure. St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. Texted me earlier today. Should I go see Dark Waters or Johnny Guitar tonight? Oh. I was like, and I was like, where is Johnny Guitar playing? Because I forgot that he left. And I was like, I we should reschedule the podcast and go to Guitar. Well, was you like, know, tonight is the Lady Bird. I know. Little Women Thirty Five. If I didn't already have but a ticket, we're going out, to the, the new, new bed. I know. I know. You know, it's a bummer, you're going though. right. I already have my ticket. Great. Um, so we see the film. We're in the third row of the Landmark Cinema, and oh, you didn't even watch your screener. Oh, you, no. you went to oh, the I landmark. went to the theater with this. It was opening night of Dark Waters. Well, I'm glad that you went, actually. And then I turned to him the, box the minute the credits rolled, and I was like, holy shit. I was, blo- like, I love this movie. I was, I wasn't. And was his reaction like, mm. His reaction was, it was good. Oh, he's very boring. <laughs> Speaking, he's he's going to listen to this. He's probably in the Academy of one of the normies. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, this Weird. movie absolutely blew me away. Thank you. That's it. I am not going to um, expound upon this because I don't want to talk about movies in relation to Oscar. Mm. But how is this movie not like getting nominated for it's every Oscar? It's very strange. It, it's all about narrative building. Yeah. And it it is. This is a focus movie. Yeah. yeah. But focus isn't, isn't what it? it used to be. No, that's what I'm saying. They're pushing, they were able to push Harriet. Focus is now, but Harriet just naturally was a box office smash. People want to see the Harriet Tubman movie. Mm-hmm. I can't, I still haven't seen it. I can't wait to see it. It's very, it's pretty good. Oh, well, I, I love Eve's Bayou. Yeah, so it's I'm very much really like, excited like this, yeah. can people not love Cassie like write off the Cassie Lemons movie? Like, can we just, like, it's a very well shot, handsome movie that yeah, has a script good. that's a little weak. If we indulge for a second in rage directed I lo- I towards love. others, can we not do it for every movie? 
Yeah. Okay. So the reason for that is because of the Toronto International Film Festival Oscar season industrial complex. Yes. And I say this as someone who would love to work at TIFF. So if anyone's, <laughs> listening, at, if anyone's listening at TIFF, I don't mean this and I would love to work for you. It's because Harriet had a dynamite trailer promised, it did. Sort of, promised sort of a revision, not a revisionist history, but a, a strikingly modern take. Yeah. On a strikingly modern story, and by modern I mean time, not modern, timeless story. Mm-hmm. And when the reactions came in from Toronto, and they were like, "It's okay, mm-hmm. Cynthia's really good. It's okay. It's not. It's not great." Yeah, done. It was written right. off. Kaput. Oscar prognosticators play a much larger role in shaping the Academy's decisions totally. now than they did ten years ago. Totally. Which is why you might see uncut gems sneak in here at the very end. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's why I think and little, that has made good money. It's why I, I think, think Little Women is going to be this year's Phantom Thread, and that it is released a little too late to do much more than a Globe nomination here, no SAG nominations here. Yeah. And then it'll get, I think Greta Gerwig's getting director. I think Sersha's getting in. I hope Florence gets in. The, More about that later. The, the, another Amy Taubin thing from the Film Comment podcast is she was like, yeah, there were screenings, a couple, before all of our groups voted, but most critics are men, and they were like, that probably won't rank, and they didn't go. That's just what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. I still, I think that that, <clears throat> hurts it in Oscars is that there are a lot of old white men that are just not interested in little women. They don't want the women picture. It's and that's broke why, back. And that's why it's different mm. than Phantom Thread because even though Phantom Thread is very feminine, it's, it's still... It's Daniel Day-Lewis. It's, it's, it's PTA. PTA. Yeah. yeah. So Dark Waters is the new <laughs> film from Todd Haynes. We haven't talked yes. about it. It is about Mark... And by the way, I don't have my laptop in front of me, so I'm going to try my... The dance. horrifying shots of everyday objects oh, is, yeah. are just stunning well, in this movie. It's... It, it, it's... um. It's almost Lynchian in how, and, and by the way, I hate that I just said anything was almost, it's, it's nearly Lynchian in quality. It's more but or less. It, it it hooks into the underlying menace and mm-hmm. banal everyday objects. And this is a film in part about how our own modes of domesticity and our mm-hmm. cultural markers of that, for instance, Teflon. It's very Hitchcock in that way. Totally. And I think Todd is the closest thing we have to Hitchcock. Which I love. You know? I love that take. And I think that the trembling of Mark Ruffalo's hands is deeply Hitchcockian. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's suspenseful, but the isolating the isolating yeah. image of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, and how it becomes a synecdoche for a large retention. But... Uh, well, I just tried to talk about four things at once um, and failed. The but Teflon speech. The Teflon. The history of Teflon sequence is maybe my favorite stretch of filmmaking this year. But Interesting. I, it's not. I said maybe. Yeah. Because I've done little introspection on 2019, yeah. and because we haven't been on the microphone every single week, my feelings are all in my head. So this, I'm feeling mm. them out right now. I love it, it is one of the strongest stretches of filmmaking this year. That so. blew me away, yeah. But, I um, just keep saying blew me away. But my favorite knocked me go ahead, sequence in the movie mm-hmm. is, where, is the extremely experimental looking images from... The brain scan? No. the That's crazy, though. But Terrifying. It, but the when they watch the videos from Bill Camp's character, which are the real, the real videos yeah. wow. from that guy... Of his dying cows and the way that it's shot and the close-ups, it's deeply unsettling. And it's just like color and texture coming at you. So I'll tie something else. You're correct. I completely, of course, we all have our feelings, but I com- I completely agree. Correct or not, I completely agree. He all, by casting some of the real life victims of the, do, the, na- the nationwide but deeply local in the film, DuPont poisoning of mm. the nation, <clears throat> by using the real victims... 
for lack of a better word, it's not done in this sort of like. It, does the blind side actually cast Leanne Tui in some small role? Like, right. I don't think the blind side does, but that kind of move, that sort of inspirational film right. tr- based on a true story is going to cast the does real that. life Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> as <laughs> the man at the diner. And it's a wink and it makes you right. feel good about yourself. In this, by incorporating that footage and by incorporating Bucky Barnes and uh, the the one couple who I think plays themselves or they're, mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they're in a town scene, it's more a reminder that what you're watching is a cinematic object, but it doesn't only exist in this sphere. Yeah. And the poking in the holes of the celluloid or, or just the, the comfort of celluloid in that way is deeply disturbing and highly effective. It reminds me of a movie that we'll talk about in seven or eight hours um, <laughs> <laughs> about just a young woman watching herself on a movie screen. That's and, the moment of the year. And the way that that actual footage functions in that film. That's yes. a beautiful parallel. Mm-hmm. It's a shame we're not doing this podcast anymore. So you can <laughs> give these wonderful, beautiful uh, opinions. Should we move on? Yeah. I'll, la- la- last thing I'll say about Dark Waters is I love, we sort of have touched on several things, but I love that Todd Haynes frames this man against the machine, man, David and Goliath, where David is a ordinary guy, a lawyer, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the Goliath is the face of American corporatism. And by winning, he's losing. Yeah. That, but like by giving it all he's got, he's not. It, it, it's not this magical world where you're giving it all you got and you go to bed and you wake up supercharged and ready it's to fight again. It's not Aaron Brockovich, he, it's, which is a perfect film. Mm-hmm. But the depletion of just the blood in Mark Ruffalo's veins as he goes and fights harder and harder and harder, I think, is a perfect distillation of the futility yeah. of our corporate dominated atmosphere yeah. and how, yeah. I mean, how long he had to wait for anything to happen yeah. yeah another another moment of this film that i think about quite often is the when, boxes no but that's also really crazy great. is anne hathaway talking to what's his face susan sarandon's ex-husband tim robbins <laughs> and <laughs> which is not the scene that filmed okay anyway and ahead. he when she is like he is willing to throw away literally everything for this, and that's not failure. Like, no matter what you think. And that that's very powerful. And I me. like how Idiot's just called her in uh, the wife role. Uh, We're just going for it. I, it, I can't with well, that. That's a great wife role. Shut the fuck up. Todd Haynes' films have always been about sectors, communities, self-sustaining units, mm-hmm. and the American family mm-hmm. is probably the most prototypically American of mm-hmm. those. And so the way the way that he's exploring the two kids in a white picket fence home versus the fact that everything in it is killing them. Yeah. And how the thing that is I mean how how corporate And that she's incredibly frustrated to be in this position. She what I love about Anne Hathaway's performance is it's it, it's metatextual in a way like so much of Todd Haynes's mm-hmm. maybe not Carol but that is too it, it, it's it's almost Laura Linney being trapped in the bedroom mm. on the phone in Sully, where she's desperate to break out of the role that the film yes. is giving her as the supportive wife at home, mm-hmm. but she can't because it's a futile fight mm-hmm. in the world that the film is presenting, which is ours. Yeah, and we I need to be more specific about all that, but we don't have time. I get that. I, get um, it, I think that it is an excellent film. And mm-hmm. I think that it's better than Wonderstruck and I think it's better mm-hmm. than Velvet Goldmine and I think it's just a little bit better than I'm Not There. So I, this is oh, not no. bottom of the barrel Haynes. I don't no. think it's bottom of the barrel. No. I would not put it above I'm Not There but I do, but I, I think said, the other two. Barely. Yeah. Barely. That's, that's where I ranked it on my The other two would be, are fair. It it's is. better. It's like, 
above yeah velvet and, and it's wonderstruck. wonderstruck is still a very good movie that, is, that happens to be his worst movie he has so. not made a bad film mm-hmm. and the alan j pakula vibes are incredible yeah. and when mark ruffalo finally gets a meeting with dupont and the head guy that he's up against is silhouetted or he's not silhouetted void. he is in this black nothingness just mm-hmm. total otherworldly void and yeah. it is a great expression of the netherworld in which these people operate and a beautiful continuation of both Gordon Will, oh, yeah like Gordon Willis yeah. and then also the Pakula paranoid thrillers yeah great film two of my all-time favorite filmmakers this decade who previously made films very sparingly just like cranked them out this decade and I love that for them and I'm happy for them. Malik being the other mm-hmm. yeah it's great. Nice. So number 20 is Dark Waters, and uh, I guess I'm also doing number 19. We're doing whoever has it highest on their individual lists for each of these, I guess. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm yeah. just going to say- wrote, I wrote names next to them, so oh. I can cue you so as you can, needed. You can moderate. Thanks for the cue. So number 19 is Uncut Gems by the Safdie Brothers. Hot. I, guys, I, some, One I, of my favorite moments of the year is when- Julia Fox goes to the man's room at the Mohegan Sun mm. and he opens the door and he's just like, holy shit, you came. <laughs> you actually came. <laughs> Who is that man? I know pieces I know. have been written yeah. about him. Literally. I haven't he, read them he, yet. He's a, con, he's a con man. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 but who is he as an actor? I don't Do think we know? I don't think he is an actor. Like, but who? How did they he, find him? Because because well, the, the guy that um, Julia Fox sits with when she's They uh-huh. found him watching, at the casino. Exactly. Oh. Softy, one of the softies, told that. I think Benny told they that a, story online or one of them. They have a great eye for faces. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's very Casavetian. I was about to say it's very Casavetian. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I'm the one. I'm spearheading this no, all of a sudden. No, but, I'm sort of giving it to someone else because I talked too long in the last one. And the other thing. It's always my fault we run is, The softies, I'm always very like, I really like the movies, and but I'm a little like, I don't have the same rapturous experience that everyone else always has seemingly other than heaven knows what i think heaven knows what is still their best movie I, I agree. um and i have not seen any of their movies before i've seen heaven those knows three what. so i've yeah. seen the three yes mm-hmm. and again that makes us all that means we don't have opinions it makes us bad cinephiles Correct. we don't um but again something that i dwell upon in this movie is when He's chatting with Kevin. I think it's the this is how I win scene that mm-hmm. everyone is memeing. Best supporting actor winner, Kevin, Kevin Garnett. Garnett. That he, Kevin Garnett is like, you ripped off these Africans and you're going to make a shitload of money off of it. And like, that's, that is what the Safdie brothers are doing as a career is they're interrogating what white people do to people of color. And that's what Good Time good is time. about. Yep. And it's about this like white anti-hero character that we are so used to rooting for but neither Robert Pattinson in that movie nor Adam Sandler in this movie are at all worth rooting for but we are along the journey and we are it's a very complicated so So I've joked that Good Time its ultimate legacy will be a segment on the Tucker Carlson show about Connie Mika's American hero and I feel very similarly I love that point because Howard in Uncut Gems he was a multifaceted character a fascinating character we don't have Mm -hmm. time to talk about all of his humanity or anything. But the way that he's operating is the type of bait and switch, but savvy on the outside, wheeling and dealing that the banks were doing leading up to the financial crash in 2008, taking money here, ripping off people here, taking that money, spreading it 10 places across. So all the money's there, but one wrong move and it all collapses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And even still, this is a sector that a certain type of American power roots for, cheers on, and mm -hmm. finds brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so just what you said there, I completely agree. That's what they're interrogating. And mm -hmm. all of the casualties in their wake, most yeah. of whom are, you know, uh, Poor. They're mm -hmm. people of color. They're women. Mm -hmm. They're they people. They, these are movies about white men on a war path, mm -hmm. and the casualties they leave in their wake. And those are yeah. normally movies that we. They are the hero. Yes, they're the American hero. Can commercial cinema of the last right. thirty years. Right, forty. How, how the eighties were forty years ago now. Yes, they, they were not twenty years ago. Was Thanks, forty years it. ago now. Thanks, I hate it. Yep, <laughs> the eighties were. They're now actually. It does. It uh, it still feels it like the year two thousand to me when I was twelve. No, me too. You know, it's crazy. I, I feel like we're living through. I mean, I think that the Bush years were, in retrospect, a preamble to what we're going. The through level now. of unchecked capitalism, rampant consumerism, income inequality, yeah. greed as a national value, petulance as a national value, mm -hmm. zero sum game as a national value. Mm -hmm. I, I feel very. Close to the 1980s, right the, now. The yeah. the 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 night I saw another movie on our list that we will be speaking of shortly. <gasps> I I laid in bed thinking for literally hours until about 2:30 in the morning about Austria Hungary because I do that a lot. Is I dwell upon Austria Hungary as like the first large like multi ethnic, uh, allegedly liberal empire so it wasn't liberal but they like had these values and it was actually the birthplace of hate and it was everything culturally you mean yes yeah. and like the whole like notion of anti-semitism took because austria-hungary existed and i just think about that a lot and that that's like a model of what's going to happen to the united and states we'll talk about that more that, when we get to a hidden like, life world war one just ended it mm -hmm. ended it forever because they thought they could do anything and that's probably going to happen to America in our lifetimes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. I agree. And we can talk more about, I, I wasn't trying to get you to wrap it up, but no, we I will know. talk more no, about I that, know. I am sure, with A Hidden Life. I just, I really think about Austria-Hungary a lot. And the Laszlo Nemes film, Sunset, which barely got a release in mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it very much when I saw it. I think about it all the time because it's basically about that. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. oh, that it's about the want to view it. It's about the breakout of okay. World War One in Austria. Got it. Which is when it comes to World War Two, I think one of the best things that Hidden Life does mm -hmm. the repetition of the first hour. Yeah. And how it repeats the slow dissolution of a set of community values mm -hmm. that is supplanted by uh, hate. Yeah. Reminds me of Schindler's List. Um. I think Adam Sandler's extraordinary. I don't know if you guys really agree with that. No, I, I think yeah. it, I, yeah. I don't I, yeah. think Adam Sandler has really ever committed a bad performance to film because he's always he's doing, always committed. He's always doing what he needs, needs to, do. to do. Yeah, like in Murder Mystery on Netflix, uh, their most watched film of the year. I saw. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch it. I, <laughs> Neither did I. I I kept all year. I saw tweets. Calling it murder mystery, and I thought Isn't that it was called murder mystery? I thought that was a bit until like a week ago. I oh. learned, oh, it's actually called <laughs> murder mystery, <laughs> starring Adam Sandler. Yes, one. I mean, again, we don't have time to really. I guess we're going for it anyway, but mm. we don't have time to talk about everything about these movies. So just to be very trite about it and overly simplistic, 
Adam Sandler gives the best lead male acting performance of the year for me. Mm. Wow. Here's one reason, because he is so globbed in fake teeth, glasses, necklaces, rings. The look is so distracting, and yet he still commands so many varied tones. Sadness, humor. I mean, I'm being simple. Sadness, humor, frustration, being at the end of his rope, digging himself out of the hole, blah, 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 blah. That he is able to give such a multifaceted performance yeah. when he is so burdened by the one face he's been given in this wor- in the world of the movie mm-hmm. by costume and prosthetic, I think is just masterful. I, 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 I don't think that's why. I just think it speaks to what a strong his performance His teeth is. really distracted me while watching the movie. Yeah. And then I listened to an interview with the Safties, and they said... People met they know there are a lot of men in the diamond district who have prosthetic teeth like that that are specifically they look false like they're about to fall out. Like it's not they're not supposed to be his natural teeth in the world of the movie. They're this man has elected to have these teeth that look like this, mm-hmm. which I think would change how I feel about it. Yeah. Now that I know that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to sustaining that manic energy, I I've just bowed out of the safties. It's insane that they can oh, yeah. sustain it for and, two and, hours. And actually, ten maybe, maybe it's not yeah. sustained. It's constantly ratcheting it up. Yes, that too. What I love about Uncut Gems is you spend twenty minutes going in this one direction with this one sports bet, and then you realize, like, oh yeah, now he's got to go run across town and get that ring back. Mm-hmm. Like the, this, like the, it's so stressful. Just the yeah. one hundred different stories that Howard is the protagonist or supporting yeah. character of. And how they're able to juggle those the, the linearity of all of that, similar to like Gerwig and Little Women, I mm-hmm. think is just essential cinema. And quick shout out to Adina Menzel running out to the car when Howard is in the trunk. And Naked. she like holds her sleeves in her hands and like out as she runs. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever Adina seen. Adina Menzel is, I think, great. She's film. very good in mm-hmm. this movie. I think every, I, I like Eric Bogosian a lot in this film. And the acting is just very good. Yeah. Very I, good. I love very the good. tension of a door that won't open mm-hmm. and how that eventually oh, comes back. Yeah. How it comes back and then how it ultimately erupts. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. I just, that's not supposed to be a major cinematic moment. Right. And through sound, through, I mean, a lot of it's through sound, but it's also through the cinematography. It feels cinematography. major. Yeah. It, every, I, that's when I was the most stressed, the first time that fucking door went open. Their yeah. films are so grounded in the present tense of every single moment, which again goes back to what I was saying about how the movie is spread so, it should be spread so thin across mm-hmm. so many different objectives for the character, and yet when he shoves that knife or whatever it is into the door and it finally opens the release of that. It reminds me of the Jennifer Jason Lee scene in Good Time when she's mm. on the phone with her mother uh-huh. and they're in the, the bail the bondsman bail and how it's like all in close up and insert and we are getting more geography as the scene goes on. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really... Establishing geography is beside the fucking point. Yeah. In Uncut Gems, I, I love the way that they explore the geography of Howard's store without going out of their way in a Spielbergian way, which mm-hmm. I love. But to say, this is here, and this is that, and right. the store does this, and this does that. And yet they're giving you all the information. It's just not in the spoon-feeding way yeah. that great filmmakers like Spielberg might do. Yeah, totally. Uh, the way that they center the eye of a storm is deeply impressive to me. Yeah, it is. All right. I'm going to use the bathroom, and let, let's take a pause. And then we have 18 more. Yes. <laughs> No big deal. Oh. Hi, number We're 18. What is it? Number 18 is mine. Is mine to discuss, <laughs> apparently. Is Ash's Purest White. Which say, say the Matthew title. 
ass is purest shite. <laughs> Living rent free in our heads. Ah, wonderful. Um, it's a movie that I put the highest mm-hmm. on my list, but I struggle with it a little bit. But I put it so high because what is good about the movie is literally one of the greatest movies of all time, mm-hmm. um, which is Zhao Tao's performance. Yeah. And basically... So I I am not a scholar of Jia Junka. I, I have to I've seen his first film, Platform, and I've seen this. So it's very I I know a lot of people talk about how this movie is like a sort of amalgamation of a lot of things that he's done in his career. So like that is completely lost on me. And I just would like to get that out there. So like the third chapter, it's a movie that takes place in three sections of time. Mm -hmm. And if the movie was just the first two, even if it was just the middle one, that is essentially a perfect movie for me is Zhao Tao looking for her old lover after she has gone to prison on his behalf, essentially. And what she does in that middle section is I think some of the best acting that I've ever seen in my entire life. When she's eating the food when at the banquet? That is insane. She can fit more noodles in her mouth at one time <laughs> than anyone I've ever seen. I think about that a lot. And that <laughs> I remember that scene. She, she inhales the noodles. I think about the scene where she needs to hustle up some cash real quick to mm-hmm. get to her next place. And so she is conning people at, it's been, oh, it's been almost a year and a half since I've seen this, or year and a change since I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. She's hustling a bridal shower or a wedding reception or something. I don't remember the but specifics she's, either. She's in a hallway and she's adopting all these different personas. She's posing as people who, I think she's posing as someone in the wedding party or posing as someone's sister mm-hmm. and scams all these guys out of cash very oh. quickly, effortlessly changing faces to get through it and then takes the cash and goes and that is some of the best acting I've ever seen. She's amazing. I have to rewatch this movie. When this, when the one woman asks her, "So how long were you in jail?" Mm. and she just stares at her with a slight smile for a moment, it's it haunts me. Her presence in the second half of this movie, or the the middle third, which is the longest section in the movie, is that when she's on the. The scene when she's on the boat, or is that the third? That's the second. That is the that second. That is the okay. second. Because mm-hmm. I was reading, I forget what it was, but apparently uh, the boat scene, I'm not going to be able to speak very intelligent, intelligently on this, but um, supposedly the the region she passes on the boat is like the same region that is the setting of still life. Okay. Mm. So it's the yeah, director it's like similar. calling back to yeah. that in a Interesting. Specific way. I need to see these movies. So to your to your point, well, I need to see you know them. how I feel about one of his. I know. I, I mean, a- still life is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mountains made apart. You know how I feel. I've only seen a couple Zhejiangka films myself, so this is partly my impression and partly what I'm told. But he is like the great chronicler chronicler of mm-hmm. contemporary Chinese cultural upheaval. Right. Yeah. Like of the last yeah. couple of decades, the way right. that the cultural identity has shifted. Yeah. And in sort of a damning way in the last shot of this movie mm-hmm. with the CCTV footage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it mounts me to part when he jumps forward into the future to mm-hmm. sort of see where it's going. And he does it in Australia. Which Ashes Paris White is, is the, the last section we can extrapolate is the future. Is the future as well. Yeah. But Pat, like that, that sort of passing the town on, is it the Yangtze river? I would assume it's yeah. the Yangtze river. Mm-hmm. Um, by including that, it probably is calling back to 
I mean, I haven't seen Still Life, so I don't even know what it's about. But that's that, about changing culture. So that and the that, landscape that that incorporation changing. with the metaphor of the boat going down the river, which is probably, I mean, most life in China is off the. I mean, I'm not. I'm not studied enough to be talking about this, but the Yangtze River is basically where all the money in China comes from. It's mm-hmm. where shipping goes down. That there's life on the Yangtze. It's it's it is the Yangtze the the the, the Gorges Dam. Like mm-hmm. it is a major inner engine of enterprise in China. Right. So to float past a town like that, which is about cultural upheaval, I guess you're saying in still life. Yeah. On the Yangtze, that's very trenchant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, still life. Good moving. Um, that's I will really... say that. Um, oh, I'm gonna say. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. that oh. I was just gonna say that's all I'm going to say. Well, well is that she's great. I, sublime. I love when she and her ex finally do meet up mm. at the end of the second section. Uh-huh. It reminds me of Twin Peaks: The Return, and mm. that it's this. You know, we're we're going down the River Hades to finally arrive at the object we've been searching for, and while, as an emotional climax, it is explosive in its sort of minor key way. Yeah. But it feel it, it, it is a climax that is as much built on deflation of mm-hmm. expectations mm-hmm. as anything else. And yet that makes it doubly as cathartic. And I think that's true about Twin Peaks, the return as well. Mm. The best film. Cause it doesn't decade. go the way she wants. Yes, it doesn't. It doesn't go the way she wants. God, I like, I have to rewatch this movie. And then like, I mean, it's been so long. we can't, you know, we, we must commit saying this as much for myself to move through these films, but the first section, the way that Je is going through the mo- the, the the culture of the mob, mm-hmm. and a lot, and, and just giving you all the rules, yeah. all the rights, all the practices, all the taboos, mm-hmm. it's brilliant, and I think it's exhilarating, mm-hmm. and I love the film, and it's been way too long since I've seen it. Same, I meant to rewatch it this week so that <clears> I would be able to really intelligently speak about it because I saw it at TIFF twenty eighteen. Oh, oh my god, that was the last time you saw it. No. I saw it at AFI, so October. So I've seen it the most recently. It's 2020. Wow, I (laughs) failed. Mm -hmm. But like Ben, I find myself thinking about the Zhao Tao performance Mm -hmm. constantly. Easily my, not easily, but my favorite female performance of the year. Yeah, it's on my ballot. Very good. Number 17 is Christian Petzold's Transit. Nice. Which the film we did talk about. It is. We have a podcast episode on it, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the episode. Uh, it's uh, Franz Rogowski gives one of my favorite performances of the year. He's also in A Hidden Life, and, and I was so happy and also, to see him in A Hidden Life. And he's also, so fun in I was at, he's also in I Was at Home, but. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the Shanalik film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a, it's one of the several movies on this list that play with time. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it, it has stayed with me in its concept of love more than anything else and the way that love sort of puts you in this waiting game. One of the best endings of the year, mm-hmm. IMO. Mm-hmm. I think about the narration of the film constantly mm. from this seemingly omniscient perspective only mm-hmm. to find out that they are sort of a passive bystander which throws everything into con everything you've seen into conflict was this an imaginary story mm-hmm. was this a projection or does it not matter that the character wasn't actually there for the individual moments in the film mm-hmm. the train sequence at the beginning when, when, when he's amazing. fleeing paris is mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. i think That's is right. spellbinding yeah uh he's not there for any of that so is it is it a projection is it a fantasy is it a ghost story mm-hmm. or is he able to straddle both and I said on the podcast episode, it reminds me of Panin by Nabokov, that perspective. Um, 
which is also from a bystander and yet gives a full portrait of that character's life. Mm -hmm. And I sort of love the paradox of that and that it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I just think it's a fascinating way to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And of course the, the, the melding of time periods is deeply impactful Mm -hmm. when we consider what's going on in contemporary Europe now. Contemporary means now, so contemporary. Europe. Great. Oh yeah. Contemporary. Excellent Europe. film, and I it can't wait to film. see it again. It's another movie that I'm like, I would have more to say if I watched it again. And I have the poster board poster shoved into my closet. Let's raffle it off to a lucky listener. We will listener, raffle right? it off to a lucky listener. I don't know how we're going to ship it. An we'll un- cut it up into pieces. Undetermined location or time. Oh my god, we could do like a Mean Girls with the crown at the end. We can break up uh, the poster and just fling lovely. it to Nebraska and Columbus. Every and listener gets a piece. That's so nice. All seven of you each oh. get a piece. <laughs> All of our twelve listeners. Is this going to be on? Um, where do we? Who hosts us? Acast. Acast. Is it? Will this be on Acast or yeah. is this self? Okay, cool. Got it. Yeah, I hope. Uh, are, we can, are we canceled on Acast? <laughs> do, I, they, do they know the I show's check? over? Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's right. a hosting. We live there. And we love we, them. We, and we pay love for them. it. And we love so them. So we better oh. live there. And we love them. Oh. We love them. Moving on. Number sixteen oh. is a Brandon. Oh, book fart. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> How did Booksmart get on here? Because it's, it's high enough on your list. Because it, it, it was high enough. Book- there are a couple of movies on this that are just <clears throat> on one of our lists. Mm-hmm. There are a few. The, the tie, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the tie. Booksmart. I was obsessed with this movie for a summer of 2019. Mm. Um, it, uh, gosh, Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. Now you can see her acting in Richard Jewell. Uh, oh. she, I haven't seen it yet. She did one of the best things of the year and then one of the worst things oh. of the year. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. The role was poorly written. She does what, you know, she needs she to had, do. She was paid for it. She She's did, the actor, not the writer or director. She right. did what she had to do. Anyway, she directed Booksmart, and it's great. I think she makes exciting directorial choices. Um, do I have to say with the movie? No, I no, have we haven't done that with any of these films. <laughs> um, I don't know. Beanie Feldstein's amazing. Caitlin Deaver's amazing. Noel Galvin. I'm just going to list the actors who are in the movie. <laughs> Great soundtrack, got Billy Perfume Lord. Genius on there. Great soundtrack. I still think about the Amy Molly fight at the party when the sound drops out, and, and you're just circles. It is just great stuff. It's one of the best high school coming of age movies ever, and I think unfairly maligned. But we're not gonna spend well all our airtime. Yeah, yucking people's yums. Now it feels like a radical thing to stand book smart. Because it, now it suddenly has haters. But Despite it blowing the roof off at South by Southwest. I think it's a very special movie. I think it portrays high school. Um, it's still in an idealistic vision, but I think it's a vision of high school we haven't seen. Um, I think that a it's lesbian a, love story. And on that note, I think it's an exciting step forward in a comedy tradition that Olivia Wilde did not invent. And I think that there are numerous criticisms of this movie that apply to basically every pretty good studio comedy or non-studio comedy uh-huh. of the last decade. And yet for some reason, this is the one where everyone's decided to uh, yuck their it. yums. I don't think it makes any sense to come after the idea of cultural reference as, or cultural totem even as cleverness, like that that idea doesn't exist and then celebrate super bad or knocked up at the same mm-hmm. time. Like I, I, I think that, I think that a lot of the hate for... Well, no, I'm not going to say why people hate anything, but... You know what's the worst movie is Game Night. (laughs) (laughs) And I just just want to put that on this podcast. I fucking hate Game Night. 
I think Game Night is a mean-spirited movie that makes trivia. That's what's great about Booksmart. There are no villains. Molly mm-hmm. thinks, or Molly, which one's Beanie Feldstein, mm-hmm. thinks her yeah, peers are villains. And then if it turns out that we're all just trying to make yes. our way through life. And that's which what's is beautiful also, about I think, Booksmart. Which I think is also filtered through a class critique that I love, but maybe could be stronger when it comes to the idea that we are all the same in that way when a lot of these kids clearly have advantages that not right. everybody has. So I, and I, of course we think we talked about on the episode, the small smart details, Beanie Feldstein coming out of the apartment versus the opulent mansion where the house party is later. Right. Right. I kind of wish that she didn't end up by saying we're all in the same boat here because I think that there's a strong class critique coursing through the film yeah. and then which sort of gets abandoned at the end, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't there in the first place. Yeah. So, I I love I love the movie. We, I I I spearheaded a screening at Outfest this year. So I did. Yeah. So I'm and I'm way on there. the smart train. Nice on a date. Oh, I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, another person who's died oh. in my life. <laughs> Why am I seeing movies with men and then they die? Oh, hope sad. you faggots see this while you're recording. <laughs> Matthew, we did. Bong Joon Ho posing with Clint Eastwood. <gasps> Oh, nice. How fun is that? Matthew sent us, Matt, or Spomber sent us a text. Good All right. Um, All right. Sorry, I, not what I said by everyone being, I didn't mean everyone, but like no one's like a true, there's no true villain in this. You know what I no. mean? Well, what I mean? the tension of the movie rests on a friendship exactly. staying together. Right. And I love that. And that bait and switch of you think it's going to be like them versus us, but it's, it's, it's us versus each other. Yes. Wow. Beautiful. Or us versus ourselves. Us versus, that, versus ourselves. Yeah. Also, what? yeah, just the idea that we put up a shield for people or like present a certain... Anyway, yeah. love this movie. Next. Oh. It's not whatever. I think that's spot on. Thank you. Number, Number 15. 15. Is Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life. Woo, woo. Which woo! played at the Cannes Film Festival this year. It's his first film that's all digital. It is... Shot on a, a red epic. <laughs> I did a lot of research into the technical aspects mm-hmm. of this film. Uh, I am um, hardwired to just begin emoting at the first shot of a Terrence Malick movie, and I felt strong emotions from start to finish. Uh, I think Terrence Malick is probably the most influential stylist of the decade, which I've said before, and that I think the Tree of Life changed everything for American film in the way that it's made and what we perceive as authentic. And this movie, I think, more than any other... Because it is his most visible movie of the decade since the Tree of Life, even if it's not necessarily the best. It... uh, It... Make it makes you remember that when other people do this style, it's not like a deep cry from their soul, but when Terrence Malick, it is, and that's why the movie works, and that's why he can do his style because that's who he is. And that other people doing it does not lessen the fact that it is the Terrence Malick style, and that is what really bothers me. That people yeah. are like, This is basically now a retrograde style of filmmaking because so many people have adopted it, mm-hmm. but. It's still Terrence And I would say, and side note, I watched a screener of A Hidden Life, and it froze an hour and 40 minutes in. Fox Searchlight, Venmo us. So so while I have seen a lot of this film, Mm -hmm. there's a a lot I haven't seen in Mm -hmm. this film. 
But when you take the narrative that he's exploring here, which is maybe his most direct examination of what is the limitation of my soul, mm-hmm. like like what what breaks me down? Yeah, because I think he probably relates to Franz in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an interrogation of the style in the same way that Scorsese goes after and the Irishman, mm-hmm. but it is similar to the Irishman in terms of it's a filmmaker later in life using a visual language and a cinematic grammar that they invented. Mm-hmm. And using it to not find the limitations of the style, but to put it up against a force, to basically to see how much weight that style can hold. Uh-huh. And to go up against pure evil in a hidden life with mm-hmm. Hitler as your villain, and then in The Irishman, the consequences of our decisions and death, mm-hmm. it's a very silly thing to say, <laughs> to, to end this in the laziest possible way. It's a very silly thing to say that it's old hat or trite simply because you've seen it before. Right. If you're not paying attention to what the style is going up against mm-hmm. thematically mm-hmm. in the films. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it is just, as it's, I think about it in term in relation to David Lynch, that a lot of what David Lynch does has been copped by other people, but there is such a direct connection to who this person's soul is compared with how they choose to film things that I don't understand how people find it remote. No, far from. Well, I I think I think it's more that we've become isolated and remote. Mm. That we don't feel connected to the idea of God as running water. <laughs> you Pe- know, people said they weren't emotionally invested in hidden. Our life. dear friend Matter Spammer did not think. I don't it. see how that's humanly possible. <laughs> Same. We this is why I'm we can't I drag. Box. We can't drag Matt on the last episode of the <laughs> podcast. No, I'm not just saying. I just mean for me, like watching it, I was pretty much in. Yeah, immediately. Well, I'm, gen- I'm he, just genetically wired I'll, to respond to I, this. I think that. Filmmaker. I think that, and of course, I'm speaking from a Western world perspective here. The idea that the camera constantly looking towards the sky mm-hmm. and that a roof is always in the way of the sky and mm-hmm. what that means in terms of yearning. The idea of crossing into a more spiritual dimension, searching for transcendence in a way that I think Jarmusch does too. This film's fixation on doorways and the mm-hmm. idea of people reaching new spiritual terrain and and, and dangerous terrain and mm-hmm. whether or not they can withstand it. I don't think that really resonates with a lot of people anymore. And it has yeah. nothing to I mean, I'm not a Christian. I I, I don't go yeah, to I. I don't go to church. But I can certainly understand and relate to the notion of looking for meaning, looking for guidance, and it's through a visual language that is more in the Judeo-Christian realm. Mm -hmm. Again, the idea of the camera constantly looking up. And I think some people find that retrograde and alienating. Mm -hmm. So it's not that Malik... It's not that Malik doesn't apply to the times. I think it's that the times won't let him. Yeah. I honestly, I feel like this movie is so timely. Me too. You know? Oh, oh it's almost it absolutely on. absolutely is. And it's frankly on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so timely. I, mm-hmm. I think that this film will, in 10 years, mean something a lot different than it does now. I agree. Oh, it, it will be re-examined. It seems absolutely. fairly obvious to make a movie about one man's 
one man who loves his country, mm-hmm. who finds that his country leaves him behind, and he will not swear allegiance to the evil in his beloved country. Mm-hmm. It's obviously about Trump. Mm-hmm. It's obviously about the modern Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And in just America, right? Um, and I think that maybe that's too obvious right now. Yeah. But in 10 years, when, when we, it will obviously be contextualized as Terrence Malick's Trump movie, mm-hmm. Terrence Malick's America Turns Toward Nazism movie, mm-hmm. that I think folks will be a little more generous with it. I agree. Are people not saying that today? I mean, I think are people... Are they finding it as a negative? I think people are finding it as a negative from what That's I've baffling. seen. I know. Hmm. I think that, hmm. um, and again, I don't have my computer in front of me, but the lead actress mm-hmm. is incredible. I agree. She is, yeah. In this film. Mm-hmm. I think the close-ups are incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. Franz's mother, every time uh, every time Malik puts the camera in front of her. It's, it's amazing. Great. Yeah. I think my favorite, not my favorite scene that what I watched, but maybe the scene that I've been thinking about the most the past two couple days is the conversation Franz has with the church painter, the painter at the church. Mm-hmm. About how people grow comfortable with the idea of the beautiful, immaculate, varnished Jesus Mm. and how he desperately wants to paint a more vulnerable Christ, a bloodier Christ, Mm -hmm. actually paint the picture of what happened at the time because people like to consider themselves on the side of the apostles rather than on the side of, you know, Pontius Pilate. Right. And whereas most people probably would, most Christians would be, would have been on Pontius Pilate's side. Um, it's like the thing, and with, I think that's so relevant and, yeah, and beautiful. The way that people are always like, "Well, if yeah. I was in Germany in the '30s, that's the other piece of it." You yeah, know, of course. I would have stood up, and no, you probably would not have. And that's so much of what the film is about—about about mm-hmm. what a true act of resistance is. Mm-hmm. And and as I said earlier, I I think that the film really takes its time in setting up first an idyllic universe above the clouds. Yeah. It's the movie takes place in the Garden of Eden. Yes. Except it's not Eve who has man banished from the garden. It's Adolf Hitler. Right. (laughs) And it's not it's not the tree of knowledge. It's uh, cutting down the tree of knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love how patient and and it's meticulous sounds cold, but how he just explores every facet of this world and really only is in three locations for the first hour. Yeah. And just how think about the, like the pub for instance or the bicycle delivery man who zooms past him on the trail that in that bar which at first signifies this is very gendered but like the brotherly love of the fatherland uh-huh. and how the delivery man means news correspondence my yeah. loved ones they both eventually become ominous and threatening and mm-hmm. violent mm-hmm. And how it takes an hour for him to get to that point. I think it's patient filmmaking and I think it really pays off. Yeah. The slow buildup of how hard this decision actually is, is really well paced. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's just, he starts with just, he's, he's not going to do this. And okay, I'm probably not going to get called up to war and that's fine. Because I'm a farmer. Because I'm a farmer. And also he's old. No offense. Kind of old. When you see him actually go to war, he is surrounded by the elderly. We are in the point of the war where all the young men have died. And uh, when he actually goes to war, uh, I just, so I'm, again, I'm not a Christian, but I don't know how, 
I don't know. Do you not watch movies to look at nature and feel like the world is larger than your soul? Like, and whether or not you call it God, yeah, it is that. It's and yeah, like. Uh, the Thin Red Line, one of the 20 greatest American movies of all time, is the... F- Honestly, it is the very first time anyone has made a anti-war movie about World War II. That doesn't happen. You are not allowed to say that World War II should not have happened. And honestly, it probably needed to happen the way that it happened. But he, in that movie, and in this movie, says just... Frankly, all war is horrible because we are all connected through the earth. And we are killing mm-hmm. the earth, going back to Avatar. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and nice. I just don't know how you can watch this movie and not be moved by nature. Mm-hmm. It upsets me. I feel the same it way. It upsets me very deeply. I was moved by nature. It, it, should, it should make your heart skip a beat in a bad way when you see the stream of water coming through the prison. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the the isolation, like how, mm. how cut off he becomes from nature and mm-hmm. but also the it's also a moment of nature's presence everywhere, the the idea of hope still streaming through. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, I need to finish it. I'm going to find a showtime and I'm going to sh- I might just watch the whole thing all over again or if I don't have time, I will find the four o'clock showtime and get to the theater at 5:30. Yeah. I think that's, Can't wait to finish it. Yeah, it would probably be higher up on our collective list had I finished it. I had to go to the bathroom with twenty minutes left, but I was at the point of like, I will not make it. I'm gonna. <laughs> right. So it's there was my a pants. I I waited until. You haven't seen it, but there's just there's, I haven't seen it, you know, and we've been doing such a good job of not spoiling. There's the just there's a really lovely scene between the husband and wife towards the end Mm -hmm. and I waited until that was over Mm. and then I was like okay I will pee before the ending yeah (laughs) and the home stretch at the Arclight Sherman Oaks (laughs) great there's more to say about the release strategy that film but we don't have time to talk about it we don't let me throw this out there really quick do we want to just go up to 11 and then just meet again in a couple days and start over because we have two more hours to go here it's if you guys are down, I think we'll put out a better product. That's fine with me. Yeah. Okay, do that. let's do that. Okay. Let's like do that. meet tomorrow or Sunday? Um, I can meet Sunday. We could do it before it's the Golden Globes. The Globes. We could meet up before the Golden Globes and mm-hmm. finish it off. That mm-hmm. could be fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are okay. you hosting the Globes? Oh. No, I wasn't going to in the end. I, well, hmm. But we, we can, can talk still... about that later. But we could do it before the Golden Globes. Yeah. Meet at like noon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. This can stay in. <laughs> okay. As we figure that out. The next one is Brandon. What? Is adding this to my calendar. Number 14. Marriage story. Marriage story. Noah Bombach's. <laughs> Marriage story. Noah Bombach's latest picture. I love this film. It is a story okay, about next. marriage. I'm just kidding. It okay. is a story of marriage. So if you haven't seen, for those who haven't seen Marriage Story, it's actually about divorce. Can you believe it? Uh, Which wow. is maybe the most marriage of stories there were. Wow. What I love about this movie is that it's a movie about two people <laughs> who love each other, and then they are forced to learn to love each other in a new way. 
It's true. I think it's so universal and beautiful, and people can be like, this movie's about white people, problems, privilege, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it is. It's Noah Baumbach wrote and Have directed the picture. thrown that out? I'm so it? jealous you're not on the internet anymore. <laughs> you're lucky to be off. Anyway, but the themes he brings up through his own whatever are universal and... I don't know the detail. Like, well, like think- when Laura Dern was talking about how they met with the lawyer who her character. The detail in this movie is just incredible. The lawyers, the I mean, the, you've heard about the script. I think the script is just I, insane. I, the details is what's so insane. Like the fact that it was written that she kicks off her red bottom Louboutins and then kicks her feet up under the couch while she's listening to ScarJo, and I'm sure the way ScarJo eats her stupid cookie and then mm. talks about the cookie and then wipes her snot and then paces to the bathroom. Like, the detail. Thank you. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I think what I like most about the film, which is on my list, is it on your list? It's in it's low. It's like number 25. I think it's like 18 or something on my list. Yes is the detail. Yes is the specificity of it. But how in a Joanna Hoggian way, what's not being said is where the real story is. And there's this underbelly, there's, there's a distance, oh God, I can't land this metaphor, but there's a growing distance between the two as they're spending more and more time together in this legal framework. And when they finally do have that fight, which I think is spectacular, mm-hmm. it is- Even though it's been- it is, not, it is not just an admission of what, it's not just an admission of how they've really been feeling or the culmination of what this has been leading up to, but it's when the film finally acknowledges that the banality of the proceedings leading up to it is not the real story here. Right. And that that requires a super deft touch as a director, as an actor, and as a writer to be able to tell another story while on the surface you're in a very engaging, very detail-driven, highly specific, funny, entertaining, kind of heartbreaking, but surface-level storytelling, that beneath it there is this growing gulf that yeah. is growing unacknowledged, and then from that scene forward, that becomes the story of the film. Yeah. And I think that is very impressive. Yeah, because you're right, because like, there's a turning point after the fight. Before, it's all about the... The mechanics of divorce mm-hmm. and like the incredible Finding a lawyer screwing over someone to not get the lawyer. The incredible yeah. Merritt Weaver serving mm. scene, Supporting which is the funniest the scene of the year. Um, ne- next to Adam Driver cutting stabbing his arm himself, open. and when Julie Haggerty tries to lift Adam Driver. I <laughs> <laughs> also I love how hilarious this movie is. It's really funny. It's really funny. I would have to agree. Um. That's it. I don't know. I uh, love Alan Alda's office and his cat. Oh. And the Alan Alda character I just think is great in a mm. multitude of ways, but because I'm not going to talk for 10 minutes about every film, when he's trying to tell Adam Driver that joke and Adam Driver cuts him off and it's like, sorry, but am I paying for this? And it's in that weird triangle room. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I just think is a perfect cinematic moment. Yeah. The way this movie plays with spaces apart from the characters always saying, oh, LA has so much space, but like spatial, spatial Which is a lazy critique, but because it's from a New Yorker's perspective, I don't care. It should be lazy because they don't understand it. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, oh, best scene of the year for me is Adam Driver singing, mm. being alive. Uh, being alive um, because that, sort of what you were saying, Daniel, that is finally one of our leads grappling emotionally with what just happened it's to an, him. It's an admission. 
Yes. And a film that is about acting as if everything's okay. Right, right. Um, Wrestling think... for control and, and and ultimately understanding that you don't have it. Yeah. Anymore in the, in the way that you want it. And I like I mean, you never how the script is written where you can see both sides pretty easily. Like, I remember I watched it the first time and I was like, well, ScarJo's in the right. And then I watched the other side. It You get... No, neither party is wrong. It's just painful. Well, the rhythms of what you're describing remind me of a great piece that Ben wrote hmm? about <gasps> yes, oh, the story musical. as a musical. Speak on that. It is. Here it, comes Linda to it hear. It feels like Linda a musical. Linda wants to hear Daddy. Uh, um, I don't know. There's just something about the way that the script is structured mm-hmm. that makes it feel like a musical. Yeah. Uh, and there is a musicality to it and I think sometimes that musicality works against the desired effect of the film but it there's something very watchable about it and it I don't know they're like that the scene the screwball scene of the delivery of the divorce papers just mm-hmm. it sings yeah it literally sings and then there are actual musical numbers right. at the end. Right. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting thing. I think it's interesting. I think it's dark. I think it's layered. I think it's complicated. I think it's complex. I agree. I must bring up a critique. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can. I could see you holding it I'm, over there. I'm, I'm holding out. I have to. To the point that it feels like a musical, there is... It's, it is a problem that I have with every Noah Baumbach movie, pretty much, that... To put it in uh, contrast with a woman who is very close to him personally and professionally, I have never watched a Noah Baumbach movie that does not involve that woman and felt like this movie can go anywhere. She is the element where this movie can go anywhere and her solo movies, I, f- I never know where they're going to go. And, right. And it, 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 it's something that... Uh, I've thought about with, this is totally off base, but just Barbara Streisand's voice in the 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with she you. is singing a specifically written song, but when I listen to her voice, I think anything could happen right mm-hmm. now. And that's how I feel when I watch a Greta Gerwig movie. And that's mm-hmm. when I watch a Noah Baumbach movie, it hits all of the beats that I think it's going to hit, and then it ends. I think that's an excellent point. I will say that in The Squid and the Whale, in Greenberg, and in Marriage Story, there is sort of an inevitability to the film, uh, to, the, to the way that the film will shake out, and the way that the characters are denying it reaching that point, which is where I find the tension in that predictability, mm-hmm. as you might call it. Mm-hmm. So I think his strongest films have Greta Gerwig in them. I do too. Correct. So I think Francis Haw is one of the 15 best movies of the decade. Correct. So I think that's the best film, and it's it's just so alive. So I'm not Mm -hmm. disagreeing with what you're saying, but I think that I might find I find another element in it which keeps me engaged, even when there is a dread churning in me because I know it's going to end a certain way. Yeah, generally because it's about miserable people. Yeah, (laughs) I think part of it is just it just feels too perfect to me. Mm. See, the first time I watched it, it felt messy, and then the second time I watched, I got the structure more. I don't know yeah. why. So I don't feel nothing about perfect. it feels messy to me. And just like, I was thinking about it while watching a hidden life because hidden life is very messy, mm-hmm. but it becomes perfect by being 
together. Mm-hmm. The edit is what makes it perfect, but like the shots themselves are very imperfect at times. Oh, and there's so much to say about a hidden life, about its image making in mm-hmm. that regard, but we gotta mm-hmm. chug forward like mm-hmm. the train there's of a his lo- dreams. There's just a lot of in Malik where you can feel him being like, punch in on this right now. Go to the furnace. Uh-huh. And I don't like, I've never felt that in a Malik movie and I have in a Greta Gerwig movie. Even though she's a lot. You mean a Bombach movie? What did I say? Malik. Oh, yes. I've never felt that in a Bombach movie, but I have felt it in a Gerwig movie. Even though she's not as sloppy as Malik, there is a less of a... Well, to quote Greta Gerwig, she likes when things look like a mistake. Yes. Yes. And her character in Little Women says that. Mm-hmm. And then a I character, do, I love when a character like also mistakes. says... Uh, Amy says, "I if I can't be great, I want to be nothing." And yeah. Greta Gerwig said that in an interview. It's a very I love when she does that. Like Robert De Niro always used to talk about that. Like when you're preparing a movie, you want to get eighty percent of the way there before you get there, but you want to make sure that you have room for that twenty percent that's going to come to you on set, and you don't want to think beyond the eighty percent. That reminds me that I'm really dying to see The Good Shepherd. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen that either. Never seen the. Good I Shepherd. may have seen it like when it was a fresh. Pesci's DVD, in it, but I haven't seen <gasps> Pesci's in I it. I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, Linda woke up. She's... Number thirteen. Marriage Story. Right or was that fourteen? That was fourteen. Okay, that 13. was fourteen. Okay, just gonna put it out there, and we can mm-hmm. take this out. Do we want to end it here? Because I don't think that we're gonna have as much. I, I think that the next movie is on the list. Mm-hmm. There's not gonna be as dynamic as a discussion as we just had. If we want to end this, and then we can just How long have we been going? An hour 45. I honestly feel like I could go to number one at this point. I can't. Okay. I can't. Okay. Um, But I can can do the next three. I can do the next three. Okay. Let's go up through... Yeah, let's go We'll get up to 10. Yeah. And then when we do this, the next one, we don't have to talk for 40 minutes beforehand. Yeah. Um, I'm just out of practice. I can't talk about 12... I'm sorry. It's on me. I can't talk about 13 more movies. Um... And I'll I'll bring a refreshment next time. <laughs> so number thirteen yes. is Mati Diop's Atlantics mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yes. Maybe we can start by talking about that. Is it the first Netflix? No, Marriage Story. Marriage Story, film. I think, was the first Netflix movie we talked about. There are a few Netflix films on this list. Atlantics is a movie that I cannot imagine the average Netflix goer throwing on and finding to their taste or in their own cinematic language that mm-hmm. they understand. Mm-hmm. They're watching Don't Fuck With Cats. Yes, exactly, which I didn't know what that was yes. until today. Yes. Do I feel like Netflix maybe purchased Atlantics out of Cannes to stick it to Cannes rather than thinking that they were going to land a movie that would either get a Best International Film nomination or a film that would be a hit on streaming? I kind of do think that. That's interesting. I kind of do think that. I don't. So why do you think Netflix picked up Atlantic because they have a very strong foreign film department. That's true. That's and true. And even not original foreign film, but yeah. the foreign films that they play, they do get played well if they have some sort of like publicity renown. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. This yeah. film does. Do you think this film has publicity renown because yes. it's Madi Diop? Yes. It, it, you you mean people like Grand us? Prix. Yeah. Yeah, right. But it is a niche market, but I think it is earnest in their pickup. Right. I I actually take your point. But I just want to say that I'm very thankful for Netflix taking Atlantics because Because Tred Sand Ted Sarandos does not 
like hand pick every movie himself. I know that. If know he that. did, then yes, it could be. But there's a whole. I know that. Department. I mean, Netflix picked up Happy as Lazaro. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that Atlantic's more than Happy as Lazaro, given the platform that it's on has an opportunity to resonate with a larger audience because of the way that it juggles so many genres, the coming of age story, the young romance, a ghost story, a political narrative. Um, and that the score is just so of the moment. It's a perfect electronic soundtrack that I love the idea of somebody looking on the subgenre of supernatural ghost stories with an international flair, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing this film mm-hmm. and whether and, and 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 grappling with issues of colonialism, of uh, migration, of a narrative that is not about America, but mm-hmm. as an American, you can probably buy into the idea of how workers are exploited by capital. Mm-hmm. And how um, the resistance that the film, like the way that the women as the gin ghosts end up holding the boss man for ransom is deeply Mm -hmm. cathartic in this country as well, even though the film is not about America. So anyway, the film's from Senegal and takes place in Dakar. Um, But I am just so enamored with the rhythms that Madi Diop builds, that she... Yes, she was in 35 Shots of Rum, and I see Ben's rice maker over there, so I'm even more prone oh. to compare her to Denise. It's an Instapot. But I don't, I, I don't think <laughs> How that... How is your But Instapot? it looks like a rice cooker. Do you love it? I do. Great. I'm, I made crockpot soup yesterday, so oh, I'm a yeah. big fan of any instant cooker. I love Maybe a pot. I should get one. I was going to say, though, that Denise is sort of the easy reference point, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's accurate, and I think that's reductive, even though there is a physicality, a visceral quality to the physicality in this film mm-hmm. that is found in Denise, but reminds me a little bit more of Lucrecia Martel and that she's going to put mm, the camera yeah. somewhere where you only see a shoulder, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and that shoulder is going to tell you everything you need to know about the character's positions in the environment. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I was trying to think of who, what her direction remind me of that's a good one but she's playing with with like visual poetry a little bit more than oral poetry but i i love the rhythms that she builds and the way that perspective aligns with them like i i, I love the scene of all of the men and suleiman we're, we're focusing on suleiman in the back of the truck as they're breezing down the road and that pulsing electronic score is playing and they've been told no by the boss that they're going to get paid and they're all sort of realizing we're going to have to go across the ocean in order to get money to pay for our livelihoods and and pay for our families. But there is a masculinity to that image versus the way that the young women in the, in in Dakar are talking about marriage, talking about suitors and, and how we're talking about two separate groups, the people who are down by the ocean in the dance club and the people who are a little more part of polite society, the perspective that she lends to the rhythms of her film and the, and not just the visuals and the sound, but the stretches of filmmaking, I think is so impressive. Mm -hmm. And you think about when Ada and Suleiman see each other through the train, as the train passes them, they're on other side of the tracks. It's just a perfect romantic image of the lovers who cannot be together Mm -hmm. and how that should feel alienated from this looming tower and the background of the Mm -hmm. shots, just this specter of, uh, imperialism and the specter of colonialism and the burning marriage bed. Like, like these are yeah. incongru- the, the, the police procedure elements. These are incongruous elements. Mm-hmm. 
And yet I find them completely seamlessly put together. Yeah. And I was captivated by this film. I, I loved it so much. I wanted to watch Tukibuki before we recorded this podcast because I know she made everyone watch it and it's a film made by her uncle that is one of the greatest movies of all time, allegedly. I mean, I haven't seen it, but it is apparently one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, and I know that that is a movie that is in conversation with this movie a lot, but I haven't seen it. I found myself thinking about comparing that looming tower in the background to the end of Black Girl, where mm-hmm. the little kid has the... And I mean, I'm obviously we're keeping these comparisons here strictly to African cinema, but the kid has it is chasing the white guy away with the French guy uh, in the mask... Like in, in, in the, you know, I, I don't remember the name of the mask exactly. I have seen it. But, oh, oh, well, never mind. Never mind. But, but it just. I haven't seen any. Well, I'm going to, you can compare the tower and the mask. Okay, moving on. Great. In, in, in sort of opposite ways, but they're in, not necessarily explicitly in dialogue with one another. But mm-hmm. the idea of colonialism, I think you can tie that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a film that you I think is lovely mm-hmm. and that I'm not like prepared to speak about critically right now. I know that's how I feel. I, I agree with every single thing you said, Daniel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The, the colors are striking Mm -hmm. in the club. The, the, like the green lasers. I think Mm -hmm. about that a lot. The mirrors, she uses mirrors in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, Which the burning bed, I think there's a lot of striking images. We should be done with mirrors in the cinema. Done with mirrors. No more. Maddie Diep did it. No more mirrors Mm -hmm. to reflect a separate state, a separate reality. And yet the mirrors in the, in in the club at the end where she is dancing with Suleiman and then in the mirrors, she's by herself. Mm -hmm. That is the glowing white eyes of the women when Mm -hmm. they're in their ghost form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shit. Back to the, just the Netflix conversation. I think, for a lot of people, it will just work as a ghost love story. Yep. And, like, you can engage with it totally. Totally. On that level. And the uh, the, the the social elements are there. It's it, But it, like, functions like a movie in America from the 1940s where it's, like, the commercial elements are front and center. And there is this social thing that you can talk about if you want to. I no, it's like about... Jacques Tourneur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought about us in that way. Mm-hmm. Like us, you can engage with on whatever level you choose to mm-hmm, engage mm-hmm. with it on. And this mm-hmm. is similar. Yeah. Like Absolutely. you could just enjoy the procedural mm-hmm. with that hot detective and his Oh, uh, the hot detective. I gorgeous. forgot about that. Loved his butt. Loved the hot detective. <laughs> <laughs> Loved his butt. His booty. <laughs> Matty Diop framed the booty. Thank you, Matty Diop, mm. for the booty. And we are moving on now. to the tie. The tie for number 11. Ah! Do you want me to go first? Yes. So you can have a moment? Yes. <laughs> one you. One of the movies in the tie for number 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I think we should do half the episode of half the no, movies today. It is yes. the smart move. <laughs> I just ha- I have the energy for it, but maybe not the... Uh, the, the, the dexterity. Brain. We have to move our mouths in order to make this work. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard's latest film, The Image Book. Mm-hmm. Um, when we walked out of the Arrow, that really ripped. Oh, that <laughs> this movie truly rips. It does. Um, it is one of Jean-Luc Godard's uh, collage films that really... 
that has no narrative and he's using images from existing films in Hollywood in the, uh, the Middle East, primarily those two and his own work. Um, and it's an old man grappling with, it is a movie about an old man grappling with his contribution to Western society and whether or not it was a good thing. And it, Goodbye to Language is a movie that I don't particularly love a lot. And I know that a lot of people like, that is the Godard movie of the decade. Um, And for me, it is probably the image book because it hits me on like a more visceral emotional level Mm -hmm. uh, because he is basically condemning Western cinema and this entire tradition of liberalism that he has been a part of and the way that European and American cinema has cast people in the Middle East and in Africa as villains for 80 years and how the ramifications of that have played out for himself and for the peoples in those countries. And especially in the past 24 hours is particularly resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just, it moves me. Yeah. It moves me. What's the, um, I have the quote pulled up. We are never sad enough for the world to be better. Yep. That's, he. it's fucked. <laughs> He's basically saying the world is fucked and I'm, I did it. Yeah. And that's a very, especially for someone who has such a, like, muscular cultural identity as Godard, and of this, whose influences are even seen in Malick. Yes, you know, very different filmmakers, mm-hmm. and yet Malick's language does sort of come from Godard. I yeah, think. and there's this, like, we have this public image of him as. The, the know-it-all bratty the dirty rat kid the dirty rat and he's this fuck all bad boy of world cinema mm-hmm. and he has made a movie laissez-faire but make it leftist yes and that he has and like intentionally provocative when he chooses not to indulge in that which is his like true political identity mm-hmm. but sometimes he will go to the right to be specifically provocative and to just give a fuck you to anyone because he likes being his own individual and he doesn't want to be associated with any sort of leftist movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he has made a movie that that is deeply sincere and we don't associate that with Godard and it's deeply emotional and personal. And all of his movies are personal because they're often autobiographical, but this is um, an exploration from his soul that I think we often don't get in his movies. Well, I've got a screener of it. Ah, you gotta watch you it. You do? And I'm looking... Yes. Oh. I'm... It's like 70 <laughs> minutes. No, I was gonna watch it this morning. Mm-hmm. I love when the lodge Because I knew out. this was gonna be... The past two years we've done this, Ben always has one movie on his list, and I'm furious that I haven't seen it because the way that you describe it makes it sound so fantastic. It's deeply moving And deeply important. It is. And... I was going to avoid that this year. 
I was gonna let you say this, and then I was gonna say why you were right, uh, but uh, I could I didn't have time. Watch I, it tonight. Seventy minutes as it is, I didn't watch have time. Watch that, and then on the same email, watch Long Day's Journey in Tonight. Yes, which I realize we're not gonna talk about, and Ben doesn't like it. But wow, what a film! <laughs> it is for many people. Wow, what a film! I was very bored. I tried watching it. I tried watching Long Day's Journey in Tonight on an airplane. Oh. They had Long Day's Journey into Night on the That's fascinating, but also not a place to watch that movie. No, but I was That's thinking... also a movie where you might like be able to engage with it purely on a like genre level, because it's like a noir for or, the first time. I don't think so. Or sus- I think you could. suspended in midair, I guess it's a dream narrative on that some too. level, as I'm led to believe. Maybe it lends itself to that. Maybe I bet it's Sully like, watches it on the plane. Can't watch can't watch <laughs> Sully on the plane. Maybe. Aaron Brockovich on the plane. That's good. Now plane that's movie. cinema. Well, that's plane. A plane movie. Well, I, I always cry when I watch movies on the airplane. Aaron Brockovich cried. Barbershop. The next cut. It's something about the wept. air pressure. What? Uh, no, of course it is. Of course it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I cry watching any movie that moves me. <laughs> I cry watching movies now so much more than I used to. Well, as Angela Lansbury once said. As you get over, there's more. As you get older, there's more to cry about. I wept. Oh fuck! <laughs> I wept through more of Little Women than I did not weeping. Oh yeah, Little Women. I was just crying. I was in tears the, the whole entire movie. film. The whole and movie. And it's not just because of Beth. It is because of the idea of like an identity that was your, for, that was your identity, no longer existing, and your relation to people and objects not existing anymore and how we grow and change and leave behind pieces of our life Mm -hmm. and the way that people can affect one another and just like these gentle grace notes just weeping. Oh yeah, baby. Through the whole thing. Oh yeah. When Laura Dern says, I'm angry angry every every day day. of my life. Fuck. I know. Mm. That's good. That's good. As I said, the the depth of contradictions in Marmee and this little woman, which I think is as much in part to Laura Dern as it is Greta Gerwig is... Very. Spot. Linda's eating. Yeah, Linda. <laughs> I can hear her Linda, what do you think about? All right, this? We're, we may or may not be talking about this picture. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that we tomorrow won't. <laughs> or um, whatever day. Yes. So also tied for number eleven. Yeah, can't wait to see the image book. Also tied for number eleven. My number four film of the year, and it's mm-hmm. not on your lists, is Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir. Shame. Do you? The Souvenir. It's a great film. The Souvenir. Yes. <laughs> So we also have an episode on the souvenir. Mm. And all right, moving on. And I feel shame in that I feel like I'm not in the club on this one. But you like Hogg's other films. I do, quite a bit. I, you didn't like Tom Burke? What was it? I don't remember why you didn't like it. I, I found this very remote. I didn't feel a single emotion watching this movie. Yeah. Well, like I was saying about <coughs> Marriage Story, like I said, Marriage Story has this Hoggian quality to it. The way that Joanna Hogg builds a narrative in what is unsaid, but is strikingly obvious to the audience and strikingly obvious to the characters, but they are building this facade on top of it of denial and of trying to make things work that clearly aren't working. Meanwhile, the tension of the film is beneath it. And mm-hmm. I called it like like the negative space architecture or mm-hmm. something of it. Mm-hmm. I th- and I've only seen this and Unrelated, so I haven't seen Archipelago and I haven't seen Exhibition, so I can't speak to all of her films. But I certainly think that in Unrelated, she is mining the same territory or the, the same way of storytelling, and in here is just 
perfect. Mm-hmm. I I love that for the lead character. So basically, she's starting film school. She's 18 years old, mm-hmm. and she's a privileged white girl who is finally beginning to see beyond or has a desire to see beyond the tip of her nose in Thatcherite, England. Mm-hmm. She gets to film school. The film opens in a like the film's opening scene is at a party, and it's an essential undergrad party for the type of you know uh, wannabe intellectual crowd that this film is wheeling and dealing in. Everyone's talking about what their film's going to be about, their intellectual curly cues that they're pursuing in that mm-hmm. moment. And so you take this moment of supposed freedom, like going to undergrad and where you can broaden your horizons, and you couple that with she meets this man who is probably a good person, but is absolutely toxic. He's controlling. He's an addict, which is not a call on his character, but he's an addict. And that isn't... You don't find out until like an hour and a half or like an hour into this movie that the character is using heroin for the entire film. Mm-hmm. And even after that moment, he's still... Basically... It's not that it's it a, makes it, him a bad person. It's just that she is too vulnerable to not take that on. <laughs> exactly. And yet she does take it on. Mm-hmm. She takes all of it on. And so it's this moment of profound freedom and profound stifling. And the way that the character negotiates the cracks and crevices of that narrative, I find very moving. Mm-hmm. And I've only seen this film once. And yet I can't stop thinking about the imagery in it. I can't stop thinking about scenes. And and like Lady Bird, the film has this cast of memory over it as if what we're watching are the recollections of the lead character. And when in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, when the two characters go to Venice, they rekindle their love affair. Or in like in Call Me By Your Name at the end when they disappear into the countryside. Mm -hmm. We just see brief glimpses of what that trip is. We don't really revel in it. We don't see them grow closer. And in the world of this film, it's it's so stuffy for so long that by the time we get to Italy, you hope that the film is going to broaden its canvas, is mm-hmm. going to let its characters wiggle around and make more mistakes beyond the confines that Hogg has set up. Mm. And yet it's miserable and it lasts two minutes. Yeah. You know, so like I just love that pot like that pall of memory over it. Um and I think it probably has the best final shot of the year. Yeah. And it finally, she finally achieves the release at the very end of the film that she thought she was about to embark upon in the first scene. Mm-hmm. And the way that life sidetracks and the way that people, as deeply as we love them, veer us in the wrong direction in our lives, the, that the film chooses that as the formative story for this young woman, I think is v- very well observed. Mm. And I can't wait for the sequel. And I can't wait to watch it again. Oh, shit. But I'm trying. Forgot we're getting a sequel. Yeah, The Souvenir Part 2. I also meant to rewatch it this week to see if I part would feel two. any differently, but I didn't have time. I wanted to rewatch it so I could be a little more familiar with the minutiae of it to talk about on the podcast. But it is that movie-going experience was so precious to me and so devastating mm-hmm. to me and ultimately liberating for me as an audience member. Watching this woman try and figure out what she wants to say and fail again and again and again, not because she's making these noble leaps, but because she simply doesn't have the perspective to say what she wants to say and how by the end of the film, she doesn't completely get it, but she learns how to direct a scene. And more importantly, she learns how to open up her own, the doors to her own future. Mm -hmm. I think it's staggering. The Venice scene has stuck with me more than anything. And the, 
honestly horrifying sex scene. Yeah. When, oh, yeah. When they are in Venice. Is yeah. Very. It reminds me of the sex scene between Laura Dern and Kyle MacLachlan in the finale of Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah. Mm. And it's just like very mechanical mm-hmm. bodies. I fucking. Th- I think about when you realize he has stolen from her Mm -hmm. and just how devastating it is watching this character still stay in it in spite of that. It's so upsetting. Her her mind is a sponge throughout this film and she's being told by the person and not in a naive way in a she's 18 years old kind of way. I think she's 18 years old. She's young. She chooses to believe what Tom Burke tells her Mm -hmm. One, because she's being emotionally manipulated. Mm -hmm. Two, because this is the world she's in and she so desperately wants to make it work. And three, because she doesn't have the life experience to know any better. So when the character makes decisions that are so frustrating to an audience member and pitiful to an audience member and you just want to reach your hand to the screen and yank her out of there, that tension fuels this coming-of-age narrative in a way that more should but most don't because it requires a mind-boggling amount of frustration in the audience, mm-hmm. and yet it is deeply truthful. That yeah. scene's great, and that I think about that scene a lot too. When it turn, mm-hmm. when I what I, I mean by like she's building the story out beneath what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. As an audience member, you know he's lying. Yeah, you know it, and the way that she can't quite hold her own, the way that he can't be vulnerable enough to admit what he did, even though she might understand because he's a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's clearly a very empathetic character in that she desperately wants to make this film and be a white savior, <laughs> like to be yeah. a white privileged savior to, to white characters, I think. But uh, like or like like a, like a, she wants to be like the FDR to these dock workers, right. you know, um, but she shouldn't because that's she has no right to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I just took a big leap and I can't tie it back. But I love just the fungibility of the character and. I just think as a coming of age story, it's it's near perfect, if not perfect. And watching Tilda watch her daughter, devastating as well. Yeah, Tilda's good in this movie. Tilda's great movie. Yeah, I'm trying to remember a scene. Daniel, maybe you can help me. I think Tilda is like going down the stairs, and Rose. What's her name? Just call her Rose. Rose. (laughs) (laughs) I called him Tom Burke. She is like going down to give Tom Burke something and then Tilda just so badly wants to be like, don't, what are you doing? Her name is Julie. (laughs) And... But Tilda yeah, Swinton's character just, is named Rosalind, so you were close. You were close. on the on the eh, close. You were in the ballpark. Seen this movie since what? When April? April. Yeah. Um, that just that watching Tilda in that performance, just she knows she should say something, but she's letting her daughter just figure it out for herself. Mm-hmm. The architecture of that relationship is fascinating to me. When when she first brings him home, and they have that political conversation at the table where her parents don't necessarily agree with, or he doesn't agree with her parents and vice versa. And so she probably, she doesn't want to step in and tell her what to do because I'm sure that Julie is very proud of that moment mm-hmm. that, 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 that she's on that faction and that yeah. divide. And she knows that by telling her to get out of that relationship, she's not going to view it as I'm trying to extend the hand to help you, but more as a cultural gap mm-hmm. or as sort of a patrician attitude. Right. Mm-hmm. I love the film. 
I wonder if my issue is just that I don't like Honor Swinton Byrne as an actor, which I wouldn't say necessarily that I dislike her, but when I watch Archipelago, I am taken with all of the characters. Mm -hmm. And, like, why would that be different in this director's other movie except for the cast? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see in the souvenir part to Honor Swinton Burns, Burns' acting style. Yeah. Because she has finally learned the first great lesson of her life at the mm-hmm. end of the souvenir. Mm-hmm. Does that Have they does it filming? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think they are filming. I think Let's they, see. Does that Let's impact her point of look. view, or will yeah. Will Hogg and Swinton Byrne take the attitude of we don't really change? Yeah, you know, we'll yeah. see. We will see. We never really change. We continue to make the same mistakes over they and over. They are again. in post production. Oh, wow, can't wait. Expected in twenty twenty. Great. Fuck yeah. Can't wait. It'll be a night. It'll be a Toronto debut, or maybe Sundance. Um, no, 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 because it would have to be now. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, because it was Sundance this past year. So it could be can. Could t- be can. Oh, you if, know, you know, I'd love depending that. Depending how fast she. I wonder if edits. they're working towards can. Yeah, I don't know. So that's number eleven, the souvenir. We're gonna take a and quick gonna... intermission. Well, you know, or we can. Yes, I mean, we're gonna. We're gonna. Uh, I think that we should. I mean, we can release them on the same day, but I think we should just. I don't Do think you combine separate the episodes because I think people will have an easier time listening to Digesting. two hours here and two hours there. That's fair. We're I was going to release two episodes, two episodes. So episodes. we're doing, so we're spoiler alert. We're now doing two episodes, but, but they're released at the same time. Maybe like a day apart. Oh, how fun. Maybe a day apart. Maybe, fun. maybe it's two days, souvenir, a, maybe two days apart. The souvenir part one and the, and the souvenir, souvenir part, part two. Part duh. Oh, great. Wow. How great. So, uh, yeah. So thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for listening for four hours. Yeah. In total, not, I'm well, actually not making a joke. Oh yeah, that no, this for was sure. Four hours. Just, well, it's, and in the end, it will be. Like I was saying, maybe in souvenir part, duh, she would. She hasn't learned from her mistake. She, in fact, doubles down on the mistake, and you never learn from the past, mm-hmm. which is perfectly evident in this. And that we canceled the podcast, <gasps> came came back to do Here what is are. always our longest episode of the year, mm-hmm. and this will probably be longer than the past two years. Ab- so absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be. But but we talked about. 10 episodes this or 10 movies this time we with did. a long preamble and we can probably shoot through the next 10 yeah. in an hour and a half. Sure. <laughs> maybe. We, we won't do that. the preamble so that'll save there, us. So maybe it'll be two minutes. We but, can just like quickly get into number yeah. 10. We, we'll introduce the show. We'll say our names and then we'll jump in. This has been the end of part one. This has been the penultimate <laughs> episode of Movies I Am. <laughs> to be continued. Should we say our names? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, all right. My name's Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben Empey. And we'll see you in 48 in, hours in, for 48 in, more hours. Sometime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> the winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, 
a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.